Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of The Last of Us Nerds Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jacob, joined, as always, by my good friend, Tom. For those of you returning, we're excited to have you back uh, to join us for this finale episode. For any new listeners, this is a spoiler-free weekly podcast recapping HBO's The Last of Us. Tom and I are two passionate fans of the game that are bringing that love to this podcast as we offer deep dives into each episode Compare it to the game and just talk about something we both care very deeply about. Again, though, it's a spoiler-free, so those of you who haven't played the game won't be in any danger. Now, with all of that being said, let me welcome in Tom. Jacob, it's great to be here with you as always. Um, Sad, this is the last episode we have to break down. Uh, One quick programming note is that... We're actually not going to have a spoiler section this week, I think we decided, which is mainly because uh, one of the things we want to talk about in the off seasons, we'll probably have a more extensive spoiler podcast predicting what's going to happen in season two, fully breaking down part two, et cetera, so on and so forth. Um, and obviously the season's done, so we don't really need to project what's going to happen next week uh, again. Longtime fans of the game, we're going to be talking very deep about context from The Last of Us Part 1. In this podcast, we're not going to be talking anything about what happens in The Last of Us Part 2. So if you don't want to know what happens in Season 2, this recap pod of the finale is totally safe for you. And if you're new, by any chance if you're checking out the pod for the first time, feel free and go back and listen to the earlier episodes where we break down each episode. We do not give anything away in terms of spoilers for things that happen after that episode until the very end where we had a clear spoiler break. Uh, One quick thing I did want to let people know, though, we're not leaving. If you've enjoyed the podcast, we're still going to be continuing to do content. Now, granted, don't expect two hours a week like we've been doing. We're probably going to do an occasional pod every so often, maybe once every other week, maybe less than that. Depends how the offseason goes, whether people are still checking it out and still listening, whether people still want to consume the content. But we're having a lot of fun doing this. So, you know, we're not we're not going to hang up the mics uh, just yet. Uh, And again, we're super grateful for everyone that's checking us out so far. So as far as our plans for now, next week, we're going to do a season in review pond. Uh, We're probably going to have some things like some season long awards. Uh, We're probably going to try and rank. Uh, our list of our favorite to least favorite episodes of the season for each of us. We're going to try and do a season long snapshot of what the show did better versus what the game did better. And just talking about the adaptation as a whole further on, like I said, we're going to do a season two spoiler preview pod. What moments are we excited for most bold predictions? How are they going to adapt the structure of the last of us two? If you've played that game, you know that that's going to be a very interesting topic for them to tackle. We have a whole lot of time to speculate about that. So we're not going to do that now. But also send us more ideas. If you're listening to the pod, if you've enjoyed this so far, um, give us a shout. What do you want to hear? Would you want to experience us some way playing the game, whether that be on on YouTube or whether that just be a series of of podcasts breaking down each portion of the game? Uh, We had a thought of maybe we do a podcast about what we would want out of The Last of Us Part 3 in terms of the game. Uh, If there comes big casting announcements or trailer announcements, I'm sure that we will break those down with the podcast. But obviously, let us know uh, what you're thinking, Jacob. Yeah, and also be sure to send us uh, any questions you have about the season, the game, anything like that. We want to try to do a mailbag episode as well, probably down the line uh, here in the next couple of weeks. So anything you guys want to hear about, any questions you have, anything like that, be sure to 
send us whether on Twitter or DMs are open uh, where the email address, which is TLOUNerds at gmail.com. All right. So send us an email there uh, and let us know and we'll, we'll try to incorporate what you guys want to hear. But what you want to hear right now, I'm sure, is about the finale. Look for the light. Uh, an incredible episode. As always, an emotional episode, and one with a lot of uh, interesting dynamics in it, and what uh, what it means for these two moving forward. What were your thoughts on the finale? So, I love the finale overall, absolutely for sure. In many ways, it's because guess what they did, Jacob? They did the ending of The Last of Us, <laughs> and that's something that I love I, th- I think it's one of the most uh flooring endings to any story i've ever seen especially mm-hmm. a video game i've never seen any ending to a video game that comes close to what this made me feel the conflicting thoughts the moral dilemmas the what did i just what did i just do what did i just watch what did i just play and it's it's obviously a fascinating question of how far would you go to protect the person you love most. And there's a lot of morality questions to get into. There's a lot of examinations of society and philosophy and characters to talk about that. I'm sure we will. There's a, there's a lot to talk about Joel's choice and what he does. There's also a lot to talk about Marlene's choices and what she does. And I will say that I, I've talked to enough people and these, it's not like I didn't have any of these thoughts watching it, but I have talked to enough people to, I think, identify that it was not a perfect finale. I think that there were some pacing issues, mainly the runtime. I th- this is something that obviously we were like, really? Wow, the finale's 43 minutes long. It's the shortest episode. I, th- I think the concerns of that weren't unfounded. I think there were definitely some things that we would have liked to see in there that aren't in there that we're going to talk about in depth. But overall... They did the ending to The Last of Us, which I love. They did the damn thing, for sure. There's no doubt about it that they did the damn thing. They certainly did. But uh, I am really just finding myself super grateful that this show exists, that it's in the hands of Mason and Druckmann, that it's in the hands of HBO. I have been... to, To say I've been pleased with this season would be a massive understatement. I think this is phenomenal. I think it's instantly one of the best shows on television, if not the best. Uh, I think it is. I'm I'm super excited for season two and season three. And if it goes further beyond uh, and I, I I can't wait to see what happens next. Jacob, what do you think? It's yeah. I I think I text you once I finish it, that this might be my favorite episode. And for what you said, they, they did what we loved. They, they played the hits, as we've kind of said that throughout this season. They did the Last of Us ending, which is, I mean, you said all the the words I kind of had and thoughts I had about it, um, kind of short form, but it, it blows you away that ending and the 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 moments leading up to that throughout this finale. At the same time. Like this still probably holds up as one of my favorite episodes of this season. And it's also one that I'm kind of most critical about because I did not like the pacing of this. Uh, it was, 
I don't really understand why they made it the shortest episode of the series. And especially when we we had an episode twice this long at the beginning. So I I don't quite understand some of the pacing decisions that they made. And it, it felt like they were racing through this episode at times. But when those big moments came, they still absolutely nailed them as they did time and time again this season. So I still absolutely love it, even though this is also probably the most critical I've been about an episode too. Jacob, I want to take you back to a little time we called 2013. (laughs) When you first played this section of the game and got to the ending, and again, guys, the the way, especially the way the the final uh, five to ten minutes of this play out, it, almost exactly from the game. I had uh, one of my friends ask, like, okay, so how did it end the game? Because like, they, they wouldn't have ended it like that in the game. I was like, nope, yep, exactly like that. <laughs> and with I swear, okay. Uh, when those credits first rolled, how did you feel back in 2013? I mean, your first inclination is like, that's it. Like, that's what we're getting. And like you said, it ends in that exact sequence. I swear, okay. Straight cut to black credits roll. There is nothing different about how Same music. Yeah, there is nothing different about how that played out. So that's what we got with the game back in 2013. And it was shocking, I guess, in that that was how they were going to end this. Something that, I mean, clearly we had fallen in love with and there wasn't going to be any kind of clear answer to what the future held for these two we'll talk about this a little bit more as well but like at the time we didn't even know if that there was going to be a second game we had to wait seven years before the second game came out so i think that also played into it as well that i thought that was it that that was the uh the that was how this story was ending was with okay and and not only did we not know they didn't know the people that were making the game. Uh, they had no idea if this was going to be successful or not. Druckmann talked a lot about how he was just going to go all out and make the game that he wanted to make because who knows if he was ever going to get a chance to do this again. And my first reaction to the ending was not that's it. I, I have seen a lot of those reactions of just being taken aback and caught off guard and wait, what? Uh, but what happens next? I want to know more. Uh, to that ending, and I, I was just immediately floored because this ending to go for it the way they went for it in the game and they go for it again in the show uh for lack of a a better more correct term it takes some balls okay like this this is (laughs) this is for that one and it has nothing to do with 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 testicles in the male body but just that expression it takes so much uh confidence in your storytelling to go for an ending like this where the protagonist does something so arguably horrific, where it's so morally complex and to end on just this, this intense emotional moment where Joel lies to Ellie and she says, okay. And you have to just sit there wondering where they go from there and the choices that all the characters made, it was just, it, it blew my mind. It absolutely elevated what I thought storytelling in a video game could possibly be. 
I don't think anything has replicated that feeling in me since. I love The Last of Us 2. I wouldn't even say that that necessarily replicated the exact same feelings um, as as this ending did in The Last of Us 1. And we still love The Last of Us 2. We're going to talk about all, that a lot going forward, I'm sure. But that's 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 how I felt. I it is It was one of my favorite endings, maybe my favorite ending to any story that I had ever experienced just because I was so floored by the confidence and the choices made and the ambiguity and how it sticks with you and what you just think about going forward to not get a resolution to a question or a, a situation, a choice that, as you said, complex, there is no resolution to that whatsoever. You have no idea how that plays out for Joel and Ellie. You don't even really know how they feel like in that moment. Like you get a sense from Joel, but you certainly don't know how Ellie feels in that moment. That okay can be interpreted so many ways. And that we're going to talk about that later, but that's something I discussed as well in the spoiler section on uh, at least one occasion was how she delivered that line. It's one word. It's like, it's four letters, but how she delivered that is really important. And she nailed it because it, it conveys so much through just one word. And and we'll talk more about this later. I did just want to give a quick spoiler note just because we have been so overly spoiler conscious with this podcast. I have decided for the purposes of this discussion when we get there, everything that Bella, Mazin, and Druckmann have said in official HBO commentary, such as the inside the episode and the official podcast, that's going to be fair game for when we get to that part of the spoiler section. Now, I was sort of surprised because I feel like what's going on in Ellie's head in that moment was effectively going to be used as a cliffhanger for season two. They're not choosing to do that. So in, in my opinion, I, I think that's fair game and we'll talk about that, but I'll give a little bit of a warning when we get there uh, to, to jump ahead. So we mentioned the pacing. We're going to talk more in depth on this, but we did get this mailbag question from JR. who says, great job on the pod, guys. I enjoyed every episode. Thank you so much. The only comment I have in the finale is that I wanted it to be the longer only because I wanted to savor it longer. You two are the experts. What scenes could have been extended? Were their scenes deleted? It's been many years since I played part one, so I defer to you. There's a couple of main things we're going to talk about more in depth once we get to, to the, the first part of the story that we're going to, once we do the recap. Primarily, I think there's a photograph sequence that is left out that I think we both agree should have been in there. There is a, a longer action sequence before they get to the hospital that has to deal with a lot of infected. It's sort of like your last big encounter with the infected and people have been clamoring for more infected that was an easy spot they could have done it and then i think one thing is the hospital sequence of joel from the moment he makes his choice to getting to the surgery room went by very fast and that's something that took a lot of time in the game and so there's some additional things that we're going to talk about as we get along the way but certainly there were things that were left on the table that could have been in there and i i think again i think because the finale was so short i don't see why they couldn't have been in there and honestly, I think it would have made a lot of people more satisfied with the finale overall. But what do you think, Jacob? Yeah, it, it's a lot of kind of small decisions that they made. Like, I think I like the way I don't want to talk too much about it now, but like, I think I like the way that they did Joel getting through the hospital. But it's hard to really tell. Like, that took a really long time in the game to get from the uh, from the first room you're in to Ellie and even if like you didn't die, like that's not even like a joke. That's like, yeah, that's not even a joke. Like, yeah, I was like, it's not even a joke about dying a lot. Like, even if you don't die, that is a very long trek to get to Ellie that they breeze through in this, which 
works, but it's part of like kind of those series of choices when you also take out a couple other scenes that suddenly you have a very quick episode and it all just kind of flies by really quick this week. And then one other question from Dane. I just want to get this in fast because I think it's, again, important to reiterate. How does the game hold up now? I enjoyed the show but never played. Is it worth playing now? Uh, yes, is the answer yeah. to that question. <laughs> Especially I, I, if, you, if you enjoyed the show, if you love Joel and Ellie, and even if you're one of the people that's like, wow, that's it. Like, I could have done with more time. If you want more time with Joel and Ellie, go back and play the game. Not only is there a lot more uh, in different interactions and different experiences we've done our best to highlight a lot of our favorite parts but there's a lot to enjoy there and also there's a phenomenal fucking performance of joel and ellie by troy baker and ashley johnson to enjoy that again we've, we've talked about there's some ways that we there's some moments that we liked more there's some moments that we preferred the show version but either way it's probably the best video game acting performances in video game history and i, I think we strongly feel that you should go check out the game if you have the means to i think it's coming out for pc here later this month um, so a lot of people are actually going to be able to get that to play that for the first time. I also think that having a lot of the knowledge we have now through the show will make playing the game better because there was a lot of history, a lot of backstory, a lot of just kind of things that we weren't privy to that I think will make playing this game a lot different as well. Like I, I'm going to go back and play it now that this is done and I'm excited to because I think a lot of things are going to feel a little bit different knowing what we know now. For sure. Anything you want to say before we get into the first part of the recap? Let's dive in. Part one, all wounds. A pregnant woman named Anna, played by the wonderful and talented Ashley Johnson, who plays Ellie in the game, runs into an empty farmhouse. Her water breaks as she's fleeing and tries to hide from an infected. As the runner breaks through the door, Anna pulls out a familiar looking switchblade and stabs the infected, but not before getting bitten. In the struggle, however, seems like the baby popped out. Anna cuts the umbilical cord and picks up her daughter, who is crying. Yeah, you fucking tell him, Ellie. We're meeting Ellie for the first time here. That night, Marlene enters the house to find Anna and Ellie. Anna is holding the knife to her neck, ready to kill herself at a moment's notice. Marlene sees that she's bitten. It's not your fault, Anna says, and she lies to Marlene, telling her that she cut the umbilical cord before she was bitten. Before, she reiterates. Anna implores Marlene to take Ellie to Boston to find someone to bring her up and make sure she's safe and to give her the switchblade. I can't, Marlene says. How long have we known each other, Anna asks. Our whole lives, Marlene says. So you pick her up right now. And then you kill me. Marlene picks Ellie up, tells Anna she can't kill her, and walks out of the room. Anna screams and begs Marlene to do it. We can tell she doesn't have much longer now. Marlene hands Ellie off, presumably to a firefly grunt, and tells him to cover her ears before walking back into the room and shooting Anna. Back in the present day, on a highway outside of Salt Lake City, Ellie is distracted and distant as Joel shows her he found a can of Chef Boyardee and Boggle, a word game. Joel also saw a smashed up guitar and says that now he's thinking of finding one. He actually hasn't played in forever. I'm guessing about 20 years and says that he could teach Ellie how to play. He thinks she'd be great at it. She doesn't have much of a response. She's still distant. 
Encountering some rubble blocking their way, Ellie correctly guesses Joel's plan of finding a skyscraper to go get a good view, which is what they did in Kansas City. And Joel pretends he has dynamite to blast through the rubble. Really? No, but I had you going, didn't I? Joel is joking around. Who is this guy? Joel boosts Ellie up to drop a ladder. Leo pointing at screen moment for video game players. She gets distracted by something as she drops it and goes running after it, telling Joel he needs to see this. When Joel catches up to her, he sees what it was, a giraffe right in front of them. Joel grabs some greenery and hands it to Ellie, and the giraffe eats from her hand. So fucking cool, Ellie says. The giraffe leaves, and Ellie and Joel get around to get a better view to see a whole bunch of giraffes walking across the field down below. A gorgeous sight. So, is that everything you hoped for, asked Joel. It's got its ups and downs, but you can't deny that view, Ellie says. Joel is nervous about what could lie ahead, and he tells Ellie they don't have to do this. They could just go back to Tommy's, hang with the communists, be done with the whole damn thing, never tell anyone about Ellie's immunity. After all we've been through, everything that I've done, it can't be for nothing, Ellie says. Ellie tells Joel that once they're done, she'll go wherever he wants. Tommy's, a sheep ranch, the moon. I'll follow you anywhere you go. But there's no halfway with this. We finish what we started. Joel nods. They walk into what Joel explains was an army medical camp shortly after the outbreak. Joel says he was there for the scar that he points to on his forehead. Uh, The one that in episode three, he told Ellie was from a guy that shot at him and missed. But Joel tells Ellie that he was the guy that shot at him and missed a failed suicide attempt. Sarah died and I couldn't see the point anymore. Simple as that. And I wasn't scared either. I was ready. I couldn't have been more ready. And when I went to pull the trigger, I flinched. Still don't know why. So time heals all wounds, I guess, Ellie says. It wasn't time that did it. Joel says, and Ellie stares back at Joel and realizes just how much she means to him. They both agree. They're glad that Joel killing himself didn't work out and that it's time to get going. So uh, on the topic, as we were just saying of the game or the show adding to the game, this cold open and the opening scene we get is not in the game. The birth of Ellie... We don't really know a lot about Ellie's past in the game. Hardly anything, really. Uh, I absolutely loved that Ashley Johnson was uh, plays Anna. She, as we've said, voices Ellie in the game. It was incredible to have her not just be part of this show. We said the same thing with Troy last week, but for them to play such important characters... I'm very glad that that was a choice they made, but what an absolute badass Hannah is giving birth while also killing a zombie while also killing or excuse me, an infected, uh, but killing one that that was the most terrifying encounter with a infected in the show that crawling after it busted through the door was absolutely horrifying. I was going to say we didn't get any infected in this episode, but then. Never mind. We get we get one. There's been a lot of episodes with just one infected. And again, once again, as we pointed out time and time again, they do damage uh, most of the time when we see infected. So they have a, a, a pretty good track record. 
I love that Ellie's Switchblade came from her mom. This was actually not, I believe, in the game, but rather in the American Dreams comics that came out, which I think generally are considered canon. Uh, love that you can see right away that Ellie was loved, even for a very short time, by her mom, and that she was born in violence. Now, in the game, we did get one piece of lore from Ellie's mom that you can only access when you are playing Ellie if you go into your backpack. And just going to read it real quick because it's really short. It says, it's a note to Ellie from her mom before she died. It says, Ellie, I'm going to share a secret with you. I'm not a big fan of kids and I hate babies. And yet I'm staring at you and I'm just awestruck. You're not even a day old and holding you is the most incredible thing I've done in my life. A life that is about to get cut a little short. Marlene will look after you. There's no one in this world I trust more than her. When the time comes, she'll tell you all about me. Don't give her too much of a hard time. Try not to be as stubborn as me. I'm not going to lie. This is a pretty messed up world. It won't be easy. The thing you always have to remember is that life is worth living. Find your purpose and fight for it. I see so much strength in you. I know you'll turn out to be the woman you're meant to be forever. Your loving mother, Anna. P.S. Make me proud, Ellie. So obviously some of that has changed. Um, Probably most notably is that Ellie doesn't know Marlene really in the show uh, Mm -hmm. until she meets her in the first episode before she sort of hands her off to Jolt. So she barely knows Marlene in the game. It's much more understood that I like, I know Marlene because she knew my mom and she just sort of like looks after me. Um, That's really not the case in the game, but still I think a lot of the same sentiments that this version of Anna would share are still in that letter. So it's, it's, it's interesting because we knew from that letter that she gave birth to Ellie, that she was alive she was holding her in her arms, but she knew her life was going to get cut short. We did not know for sure that she was bitten or how she died, but it was easy to sort of make that inference. Guess what? Score one for the spoiler section of the Last of Us Nerds podcast. Uh, I talked about this last week, that this was what I think was going to happen, is they were going to try and explain Ellie's immunity by the mother being bitten before, I guess... Uh, before delivering the baby, it's a little unclear how the timetable worked here. If, if it's like she was bitten, but the umbilical cord was still attached, but the baby was out. And therefore like that's, it's a little unclear. What is clear. It seems is that this is why Ellie was immune. What did you make of that change slash addition extrapolation? This very well could be the case in the game, but it wasn't quite explained. What'd you make of it, Jacob? Yeah, I was going to say that, you could kind of infer what happened in the game. I think that's what this show's done a lot of is a lot of the stuff that we've inferred happened. They've just expanded upon, which is what we were hoping would be the case, but it was, it makes sense in how kind of series of events happen. As you said, they kind of keep it intentionally unclear as to like the specific when she was bitten, when she was born, when the umbilical cord was cut, all of that. But, I mean, there has to be a certain order for her if this is really how she's immune. So, it was... I enjoyed it. I I mean, it's not... They didn't really explain her immunity in any way. There was a little bit of an explanation at the hospital, but how she became immune was not something that they discussed in the game. Was it a good choice, you think, to explain her immunity? 
I think so. I don't. I don't know if necessarily we needed it, but I, I like that we got that confirmation. Uh, in the game, really, all we know is that the cordyceps inside Ellie somehow mutated. I think you can you can still take this and infer the reason it mutated is because she had these chemical messenger whatever. Not not a scientist here, uh, even even a science fiction scientist that were there in her body, uh, and that's why when she was bitten, that that's why it forced the cordyceps to mutate it. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 so I like this. I think this does a good job in some ways of making Marlene more interesting in the show. However, and I'm going to talk about this later. I think the game did a better job in other ways of fleshing out Marlene in, in ways that I, I feel like the sh just show watchers missed. And I definitely want to get into that here a little bit later. One tidbit, the song that Ellie, that, uh, excuse me, Anna, see, I just called Ashley Ellie just cause it's second nature. The song that Anna was singing to Ellie was the sun always shines on TV by aha. Just kind of funny that she, uh, Ellie ends up liking aha, just like, uh, just like her mother did. I have one concern for the firefly grunt because Marlene clearly told him to cover her ears. And I'm not sure he did at least no. the way the editing happened. It's just, it cuts back to the, to the baby who is screaming uh, from the gunshot and no hands around her ears. So I'm not sure if that was just a bad editing choice or if the firefly grunt was not very competent. But either way, uh, that's a concern. I'm glad you wrote this down because I also wrote there's no shot. He covered her ears because uh, I was like, you had one job. Yeah, exactly. He she walks out, says cover her ears, and he just stares at the baby as he does not cover her ears. I, I do have one thing. So because I'm a fucking sicko and this is well established, <laughs> I was I was really into the the tragic I thought Marlene was not going to kill Anna for a second. Yeah. And I was kind of into that. I was like, Ooh, that's so fucked up. I love it. Fuck, fuck me up. Neil and Craig. That's great. But, um, I, but again, I, I do think it's, I, I, I like what it says about Marlene that she, that she, she had to overcome that. And she went back and she did what needed to be done. I think that that's consistent with Marlene's character, but I was sort of into that dark thought for a moment. I think what it the purpose it also serves is that it explains Marlene is willing to make tough decisions or tough choices, yeah. which is how she gets in the position of being effectively the leader of the Fireflies. And it also kind of explains why Marlene is always kind of conveniently around Ellie uh, throughout the show and like why she might have been around and saw Riley and recruited her and whatnot, because uh, she... I assume is checking in on Ellie, but I, I will say I, I should have put this probably higher up. Just hearing Ashley Johnson's voice during this scene just kind of took me back to the mindset of playing the game, like in a good way. But I, her voice to me is just so, I mean, she is Ellie. Sure. That's her voice is Ellie. So and, before you could even see her face, she was just like grunting going through the woods because we played the video game. As Ellie, as she runs around through stuff, just hearing the like grunts, be like, "Ah, it's Ashley, it's Ellie." And specifically, the line "You fucking tell him, Ellie." I absolutely love that, and so I I, I can't say enough that uh, how much I enjoyed Ashley Johnson being in this scene. One nitpick I have: Why was this infected so vehemently chasing her? Through the woods, <laughs> through a window, up the stairs, into the room. We don't know everything about the kind of details of these infected, but 
it didn't seem like she was particular or the the zombie was was particularly close but she was always chasing her I, maybe the infected knew she was pregnant thought it could get a two for one special and <laughs> uh it was this also seeing this scene made me think back to when uh Ellie was locked up or handcuffed or whatever and Marlene was keeping her in there and the moment where she says what are you my mom kind of yeah <laughs> ironically we kind of laughed at it at the time but yeah she kind of is I do think it's interesting this episode begins and ends with a lie effectively to protect Ellie but Ashley Johnson insisting Anna insisting that uh she cut the cord before she was bitten which we at least know that part is not true it it was a i like the way they kind of bookended uh the beginning and the end with a lie yeah and i mean there's it obviously goes back to a lot of the common themes of the show of a parental figure what would you do to protect that person would you would you lie to your best friend and risk that there's an infected baby that is about to turn on you? Uh, I, I don't know how much of a threat an infected baby really would be, but I don't <laughs> want to find out. So I'm glad that's not what happened. The but, yeah. the other line that they mentioned in, I believe, in the official podcast, but when Anna says to her, find someone to bring her up is I don't know. I, I found it interesting uh to oh no to marlene i don't know it was a lot to ask marlene i guess in that moment already maybe she didn't want her to uh she didn't like she was drawing a line somewhere basically like here take my baby and raise the baby and shoot me my guess would be she was maybe drawing a line maybe she assumed that marlene wouldn't want to raise her i mean ultimately she chose also fedra for somewhere to raise her as well because she knew that she would be safe there it was just it was i like i like the line of find someone to bring her up because it raises some questions and then the fact that the someone she chose was fedra was interesting and of course eventually marlene did find someone to help bring ellie up and to keep her safe not on purpose, not intentionally. It was sort of as a measure of last resort. And obviously that led to her death, as we'll talk about later. So that brings us to this first stretch with Joel and Ellie on the highway and then later the giraffe sequence. So first of all, I, I mentioned like Joel, Joel is in a different state than we've seen him in a while, right? He's joking around. He's making room in his backpack for Boggle. He's talking to Ellie about how he's going to teach her how to play guitar. He's uh, making up silly jokes about dynamite and later he's in the mood for puns. And I really think that shows just how much Ellie has changed him and in some ways healed him. This is not to say that now Joel is a perfect uh, <laughs> mentally stable person with no notes. Obviously that's not the case. We'll talk more about that here in a little bit, but it, it's, I think it still shows that still in a very fundamental way, Ellie has given him such a huge piece of his humanity back. It's also the, the roles at, at this point are kind of a 180 flip in that 
Joel is the one talking a lot and Ellie is the one kind of silently walking along, which we know is kind of the lasting trauma from what happened with her and David. I think probably it's a couple weeks, maybe a month or two since that has happened. But I mean, that type of moment, that type of trauma that doesn't go away. And you can see Joel reaching out to her, whether it's through the Chef Boyardee as a callback to earlier in the season, whether it's getting a game for them to play, whether it's talking about teaching her a guitar, whether it's the dynamite joke. None of that is how we've seen Joel interact with her up to this point in the season. So it's both a look as to what Ellie has kind of done to him in a positive way, but him also trying to reach out to her because she very clearly is not normal Ellie in this scene. So in the game, it, it cuts from the baby girl moment, which we talked about and we adore, especially the game version of it cuts from winter to spring and it jumps right to Ellie looking at this kind of mural. Um, I guess mural is the best way to describe it. It's, it's some type of artistic uh, drawing or carving of a deer. I think we're meant to interpret. It's easy to miss sort of the first time you experience that, the first time you play it. She's looking at that deer and she's thinking of the whole incident with David. Understandably, anything that could bring her back to that incident, she's very traumatized by and it it visibly affects her for the rest of that afternoon as, as we see that what's happening here. But understandable that you don't really need the deer. What happened wasn't that long ago and it was a very traumatic thing that she'll probably be thinking about for the rest of her life. And that's what's bothering her, obviously. And one thing I, I did want to mention in my rigorous reporting on this story, I got some Chef Boyardee ravioli and, and I had some. Uh, my review, it's OK. It was better once I added Parmesan, in case you're wondering. I am not going to lock it in a 20 year time capsule and open it up in 2043 to see how it holds up after 20 years. But I would be curious if I could easily do that. Uh, you know what? I, I still don't think I would. That sounds gross. But uh, but but yeah, Chef Boyardee plus Parmesan equals not too bad. That gives us to the giraffe moment. And we this is definitely on the short list of moments we wanted from the game to the show. It's important to remember that a video game structurally is very different than a TV show. We waited a week from what happened with David to now. And then even then there was a flashback between in the game, you go straight from David to you go to this sequence where Ellie's pretty traumatized and, and shaken. And it's just, it's such this beautiful moment within 10 to 15 minutes of that to just go to, to see something so pure and beautiful and to see Ellie's reaction to it. And it's it's just it's such a beautiful moment that is understandable why they basically recreated ex exactly like it was in the game. They kind of hinted at it throughout the season. For those that listen to the spoiler section, we kept mentioning a, there were a couple different times that you could see giraffes around. There was a stuffed animal at one point. There was a poster in the room that Joel and Ellie in Jackson have their kind of big showdown conversation with there's a draft on the wall. So it was something they hinted at, but yeah, this was very much on the short list of things that had to be in there. And for the reasons you explained, it's an iconic moment from this video game. It, 
what always the part of it I enjoyed is that in most video games, you're prompted or there's kind of a timer of like, okay, you can do this action for a while, but then you have to move on with this moment. There is nothing that tells you, you have to move on. You can sit there as long as you want. And just the, the moment where they're on the rooftop and they're just watching out over the giraffes, you you walk up to Ellie, you click one button and then you're getting the same view that they are. And you can just sit there and watch that. And as you said, it happens in a um, in a time frame that it's still, you're most likely you have just played the David section and within 10 minutes you're at this. So even you as a game player are probably still traumatized to some degree. So to, ha- to have that and to just have that moment where you can just exhale and relax always stuck out to me. And it's also, I always felt a game that knows what it is in that moment where it's like, guess what? You've been paying attention to this so far. It's There's not happy stuff that's ahead. There's there's going to yeah. be something that's going to fuck you up. So you're going to have to voluntarily leave this moment. But you don't have to. You could just sit there forever. You could leave your you could leave your PS4 or PS5 just on permanently at the draft moment. I don't I I've never I've never seen what happens if you do it for like 24 hours, but uh you could do it until it crashes. You could just turn off your PS4 or PS5 and say, "Yep, story ends here. They see the giraffes. It's beautiful at the end." But obviously I there's be against it. <laughs> obviously there's a there's a darker uh there's a darker twist and story to be told here. Uh, very small tidbit that I remember from the official Last of Us podcast before The Last of Us 2 came out, uh, which was that some of the level designers were very confused when they got this assignment of just like, okay, you're going to just like make this uh, this section where there's this giraffe and they go up and they pet it uh, and then you leave and then you watch it. And they're like, well, huh? Okay, but the, like, do you have to like fight someone between then? It's like, nope. Uh, <laughs> is it a zombie giraffe? Nope. And they're like, okay, I don't know how this is going to work, but sure. And they went to work on it. And then obviously when you see the final product, it's it's just such this beautiful moment with uh, given the context of everything. But I think the other important part, I think they do a better job of it in the show than they do maybe in the game is having Ellie feed the giraffe and kind of the laughing, the giggling. I think, and this is something that they discussed in the, I believe Craig Mason discussed in the podcast. It's kind of a sign that Ellie's still in there because you go through these opening minutes where this is, as we've said, that's not normal Ellie. And this moment, there's, there's such a kind of innocence to it. It, it, it kind of peels back the layers a little bit and maybe serves to Joel as like a comforting moment that Ellie's still there. It's just, she's, She's she's gone she's gone through a lot recently, but I do think that that is something they did better in the in the show. I'm not sure that there is really that same kind of realization in the game. Very small note, it, and this is something we already know. We didn't like really have the same reaction to it. This is literally the only moment in the season where the CGI was like, ooh, ooh I don't know. Uh, I know at one point it was a real giraffe, and it wasn't actually the giraffe CGI that bothered me. It was like the you could just tell it was just it, Pedro and Bella were standing in front of a blue screen. That was yeah. very obvious to me, but like, that's fine. Again, if there's one area the show could be lacking in it's CGI, I don't really give a fuck about that. Hire real giraffes. It, well, and again, I think they did for some of the shots. I think part of it was a real giraffe and then part of it was CGI. 
Um, but yeah, that was just one note. And and then uh, it can't be for nothing. Small note there. I believe that is the name of the platinum trophy in The Last of Us. If you get all the achievements, you get a platinum. It's a whole thing. If you want to know about PlayStation trophies, look it up. Uh, that's the name of the platinum trophy. But I like the addition of it. She said she she does say in the game once we're once we're done, we'll go wherever you want. But I, I like the rewording slightly of I'll follow you anywhere you go. There was a slight improvement there. I, that that line uh, felt good. Hit me in the feels. Yeah, just the whole that whole kind of monologue she does is it. I mean, I just said this was an iconic moment, this, as is this kind of speech or monologue she gives after everything we've been through, everything I've done. It can't be for nothing that sets the scene for what we're about to experience as well. But as you said, adding, I'll follow you anywhere you go. That wasn't in the game. It was, I went back and watched it. I believe we'll go wherever you want something along those lines. And just the rewording of it works so much better. And I think carries a lot more weight to it with saying, I'll follow you wherever you, or I'll follow you anywhere you go. Yeah, she's she's saying I love you, and yeah. like, like it it doesn't matter where you want to go. I like I am with you, hundred percent, and I, I love that. Uh, and, then, and obviously, it's Joel is nervous about what could lie ahead, and he like in his mind, if they could just go back to Jackson, that is a huge win in Joel's book. He's much more obviously, as we'll find out, much more concerned about Ellie's safety than the status of a of a potential vaccine or cure. Um, and then we get further on. We get this, for the most part, complete show edition. I mentioned at one point uh, in a previous episode that there was a very small line that I almost missed where they find a couple that had killed themselves and Ellie's like, well, I guess they took the easy way out. And Joel says something something to the effect of, like, trust me, it's not easy. Uh, And that's really all we got. And, And obviously this is a whole big moment that the show decided to go with, which this revelation that Joel makes to Ellie that he tried to kill himself uh, after Sarah died. And especially, I think it was notable the way he made the clear choice to tell her. And then also had the dad, like presence of mind to be like, okay, like, like come here, we're going to sit down and have this conversation felt like such a dad moment to me. Uh, And obviously hugely, we've talked about it before show Joel is much more open about a lot of things than game Joel is. And this is maybe the biggest example of this so far. And then obviously I think we both are super into the line of time heals all wounds, I guess how he says, and Joel says it wasn't time that did it. Um, I, I, it, that, that hit me right in the heart. Uh, I know I've talked to a few friends that said like, that's the line that stuck with them the most from the finale, not yeah. in the game that, that was in the show. I assume maybe that was, a, you have to probably give Mason credit for that, but maybe it was a Druckmann rewording, but either way uh, that, uh, that, that, that felt. It was. So the two lines that I think are, are going to stick with me from this season, this is also maybe partially because I mean, we played through the game, but they're both lines that weren't in the game. It's it was the it's it wasn't time that did it. And 
when Joel was talking to Tommy and talking about I'm failing in my sleep. Like the, those two lines are the ones that are going to stick with me the most. Look, I audibly gasped whenever Joel revealed that he attempted suicide. And there, as you said, they had kind of dropped a little nugget, but like, I don't even know specifically that you could, you would infer that it was Joel that did it necessarily. Now in hindsight, you probably can't, or you can, but it was completely something that they added the, the conversation and everything uh, that went along with that. But you kind of said with, with Ellie saying, I'll follow you anywhere you go being kind of her way of saying, I love you. I think this is as close this moment is as close as they're ever going to get to saying, I love you to each other. Because I mean, it's him saying it wasn't time that did it and her saying, well, I'm glad that didn't work out or I'm glad it didn't happen. These aren't two, even in this show, these aren't two people that are very outwardly emotional. And so even then just that moment is man, it was incredible. I I specifically wrote down, give Pedro all the awards. I know that you have uh, stumped for him all season long. This speech specifically, it was incredible. Uh, man, what a performance from, from Pedro in this scene because it really, as you said, it hit right in the feels. By the way, I should mention it just because I don't think we ex- explicitly said this too. Bella's probably going to get an Emmy nomination too. I feel like again, I don't know. We're we shouldn't be put in charge of awards because we're wholly biased, but it, it sure seems like there's a lot of public support for uh, Bella getting a nomination. Specifically in this moment, absolutely, just the the look on Ellie's face when Joel says that, you can just tell she is realizing in real time, like oh my god, like I mean I mean the world to this person especially after having the life that Ellie has had and how lonely she's been. You can tell what a moment that is for, for both of them, obviously, but in this case, what I'm talking about for Ellie, that's, that's such a huge moment. And uh, the acting performances both ways, I thought led this to a really good moment that the show basically created. However, (laughs) we have notes. Okay. So effectively, it seems like this show is the replacement for, the photograph conversation, which happens in the game. Yeah. In the game, there are a couple moments where, so so for context, when he shows up at the dam in Jackson, uh, Joel goes to talk to Tommy. Tommy says, I got something for you. Last year, I went back to Texas, back home. Most of our stuff was long gone. Most of it. And he pulls out a photograph of Joel and Sarah after Sarah won a soccer game and it's like holding a trophy, presumably got first place in something. I'm not really sure. Uh, but it's this beautiful moment and you hold the photograph as Joel and you have to hand it back because Joel's not ready for that. And at that point, Joel says, I'm good. And, and he hands the photograph back to Tommy. Tommy says, are you sure? I mean, Joel says, I'm sh- I said, I'm good. And they move on from that. And then during this moment of the game around the same type of medical camp, um, Actually, sorry, before that, when you're in the winter stretch and you're playing as Ellie, if you rummage through her backpack, which is easy to miss, not only do you find that note from her mom that I mentioned earlier, but you also see that she has this photograph. You can actually catch that before the game tells you. 
uh, if you just rummage through her pack. And when she pulls it out, this is the moment where you can still theoretically think that Joel's dead. The game very cruelly has Ellie say the lines, oh man, I should have given this to him when I had the chance. Uh, <laughs> which is is really mean in hindsight. But then during this stretch of the game, after David, when they're in Salt Lake City, when they're closing in on getting to the Firefly base, you're walking forward and you hear from behind you, Ellie say, hey Joel, I got something for you. And she she says... Maria showed this to me and I stole it. I hope you don't mind. She pulls out and she gives Joel the photograph of him and Sarah. And he's finally ready to, to take it. He's finally ready to keep it. He's, he sort of has an emotional breathing for a second. He says, well, I guess no matter how hard you try, you can't escape your past. Thank you. Now, I don't think necessarily that line needed to be in there because I think he's he they do a good job of Joel rec- reckoning with his past and obviously being more comfortable and being open and talking about it. And I think the suicide conversation was an excellent addition to the show. However, with some of the pacing concerns we talked about at the, at the top of the episode, I don't see why this is a moment that couldn't have been in there of just, and I actually intentionally, I thought about bringing this up after the Jackson episode, but I didn't because I was still like thinking like, eh, they're still probably going to pull the picture out and they're just going to have Ellie showing it to him be the first time that, that we see it. They didn't do that. And I'm, I'm pretty disappointed that they didn't just because I don't, I don't see why it was cut. I think it was still an emotional, beautiful moment that the episode could have used more of, because as we talked about it, it at times it feels like they're rushing a little bit to get to the ending. But what, what do you think, Jacob? Yeah, I think this is a unanimous crafting upgrade from both of us on this one and giving uh, Joel this photo when they were sitting there after they kind of had the conversation. I kept I said like multiple times. All right. Give him the photo. All right. Give him the photo. Like like, it's photo time. Here we go. Yeah, exactly. Like I I was certain that that was going to be the moment where they gave him the photo. I was very surprised that it didn't happen. it's such a small thing, but like, especially with it coming from Ellie, I think matters as well that Ellie's the one that gives it to him. Obviously a lot in the game has changed between Jackson and Salt Lake city that kind of makes him more open to it. But this in the game, it also kind of opens him up a little bit to talking about Sarah as well which we eventually get in this episode, but there isn't a lot of it in this moment. I don't think there's really, they they could have, they could have, they could have done this as like the preamble to the suicide talk. Like they could have, she could have given it to him and that could have led to Joel opening up about what he was going through after Sarah died on that second day after the outbreak. I I just can't, I can't see why this was cut. Uh, And I've listened to the podcast. I didn't really hear this. It's not like they were cramped for time. Quite the opposite. Like we talked about it. It just felt like this finale was too short. This was such a big moment for the game that I I wish they had kept in there. The other main stretch that is not in the game is another infected sequence. But this one I thought I thought we were going to get partly because, again, the show had been so light on infected to this point. They doubled down on that again by not having this stretch. So there's this long sequence uh, it's 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 sort of like your final infected challenge, basically, is how it works on a gameplay level, where you have to cross town to get to the Fireflies, 
you go through this underground section. I, I'm not, I, I think it's like under a subway or is a subway. Or, yeah. It's not really a subway. I forget. It doesn't a, really matter. You're underground, bus, but yeah, you're in yeah. a tunnel in a bus. Yeah. And then later it's flooded for, I, I, I don't know why, but uh, anyway, there's a lot of, uh, infected. There's multiple ploters. It's a very tense stealth sequence. If you choose to be stealthy about it, of sneaking through and get to the end without the whole horde turning on you. At the end, you boost Ellie up over uh, over a truck, and she has to drop a crate. And then as soon as she drops the crate, the whole infected turns around and starts running to you, and you have to climb up the crate quickly and get over. And then there's sort of this uh, water sequence. One thing I should mention: a big part of the game—I shouldn't say a big part of the gameplay—a part of the gameplay are these water puzzles, effectively, that you have to deal with with Ellie. Because she can't swim, she brings that up in the second episode. We don't really ever see that come into play. It comes into a play a few times during the game story and certainly many times during the gameplay parts where you have to like find this wooden uh, pallet and and she can hop on there and there's uh, there's plenty of room for her, but no room for Jack, RIP. Uh, and you just push her around uh, to, to different parts and then she goes up and drops a ladder down or et cetera, et cetera. And anyway, there's this final sequence where you're jumping across this river or flooded tunnel or whatever. Uh, and there's a strong current. And as you're jumping, like going across a bus to leap up onto a railing, the railing collapses. Ellie's safe up there. Joel falls underwater. He's sort of about to be trapped in this bus. That's about to go fully submerged. And Ellie jumps down heroically to try and save him. And then when the bus goes underwater, she gets knocked unconscious She's floating in there. There's this beautiful moment, beautiful shot where you're like trying to swim towards Ellie, who's knocked unconscious, who can't swim. Uh, and you're obviously, you got to get to her and pull her out before she dies. You get there, you pull her out. Joel is trying to do CPR on her. Uh, and that's where you, the fireflies find you. And they knock Joel out while she's administering CPR. They revive her and Joel wakes up in the hospital. And that's sort of where, how you get to the sequence with Marlene. There's no flashbang or anything like that. I don't think this sequence was as important to include, obviously, as the photograph. However, if you were looking for a longer, uh, more action-packed finale, one where you could have inserted some more infected, one where you could have inserted this intense underwater sequence, certainly they could have done that. And that was another big thing uh, that was cut from the game. Yeah, we discussed uh, between the last two episodes about whether there would be kind of the water sequence and whether Ellie would you almost drown, I guess, because yeah, as you said, when you, when the guards catch up to Joel, he's giving CPR to Ellie. And there's kind of a moment where you're not sure if Ellie is going to live. I can understand to a certain degree that they um, maybe didn't want another cliffhanger like that, but the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, I could have added like a, a, a five minute tense sneaking by some infected scene. And yeah. I, especially given the pacing issues we've talked about, I, I don't feel like that would have been a bad thing. Yeah. And so when we're kind of talking about them racing to the ending in this episode, it's stuff like this where like you can stay a little bit true to the game and pace things out a little bit more and add a little bit more so it doesn't feel like it's just like big moment sprint to the next big moment sprint to the next big moment and it kind of lets some of those moments breathe a little bit as well okay that brings us to the second part of the story which <laughs> hey jacob a lot happens uh part two <laughs> choice joel tells ellie 
He's in the mood for some shitty puns, and Ellie pulls out Will Livingston to pass the time. After Joel reviews three puns, a Firefly patrolman throws a flashbang, and Ellie gets dragged away before Joel gets knocked out with the butt of a rifle. Joel wakes up in a hospital bed to find Marlene watching him. They found the Fireflies. Marlene tells Joel that she lost half her crew crossing the country and asks how he managed. Quote, it was all her. She fought like hell to get here. And while true, Marlene points out that she would have been dead on day one without him. Marlene says that Joel is the one person she never wanted to be in debt to. But here she is. Everyone owes Joel for what he's done in getting Ellie to the Fireflies. Joel doesn't really care about that, though, and he just wants to see Ellie. Marlene tells Joel that he can't. She's being prepped for surgery. According to the Firefly's head doctor, Ellie has cordyceps in her body since birth, which can message cordyceps and makes regular cordyceps think that she's already cordyceps. In short, to make a cure, they have to cut into Ellie's brain, and she has to die. Find someone else, Joel says. But there is no one else. Joel tries to make demands, but he gets hit by a Firefly troop. Joel begs, please, you don't understand. I do. I was there when she was born, Joel. I promised her mother that I would save her child. I promised. So I do understand. I'm the only one that understands. I'm sorry. I have no other choice, Marlene says. I do, Joel says. Marlene instructs two troops to walk Joel out to the highway, give him his pack and Ellie's switchblade, but if he tries anything, shoot him. Narrator, he tries something. In the stairway of the hospital, he punches the man that was shoving him in the back, grabs his sidearm, and shoots the other before executing the first one. Joel grabs his rifle, lots of ammo, and Ellie's switchblade. Joel is not about to lose his daughter. Not again. He lets nothing stand in his way. Fully dissociating, Joel mows through any obstacles at the hospital, slaughtering fireflies one at a time. One firefly even puts down his gun and surrenders, and Joel shoots him. Several bodies later, Joel finds the operating room, with Ellie under anesthetics, a head surgeon, and a handful of nurses. Joel tells them to unhook Ellie. How did you get in here? The surgeon asks. Unhook her, Joel repeats, gesturing with his gun. The surgeon grabs a scalpel and holds it toward Joel. I won't let you take her. Bang. Joel shoots him in the head. Unhook her, he tells the nurses, and they do. Joel lets the nurses live, more on that later, picks Ellie up, and carries her to the elevator. So I would say there's some moral decisions we must discuss here, Jacob. One or two. Let's actually start with Marlene. Because this is a choice that could get overlooked. Because obviously what's going to draw most people's attention is Joel's choice. But Marlene also makes a difficult choice here. She chooses that she will authorize the murder. Let's not put it anywhere. It's a sacrifice, but it's a murder of a child for the betterment of society. She doesn't ask her. She doesn't... Make sure everything's okay. She just gives the go-ahead. And this is obviously the polar opposite of, and, and in some ways a very interesting foil for Joel, 
in his decision that she's willing to kill a child to save humanity. And Joel is willing to kill a lot of people and fuck humanity over to save his child. Jacob, what do you think of Marlene here? It's, uh, it's describing her as a foil to Joel. I think is perfect. She kind of positions herself as the, the one who knows best. And the quote she has, I do understand. I'm the only one who understands. To a degree, you get where she's coming from because of the opening we got to the episode. She was there when Ellie was born. She has seen Ellie her whole life. She hasn't really connected with Ellie at all in the in the show. And so I think that's where her logic starts to fall apart a little bit. She doesn't really, I, I think that probably makes the decision a little bit easier for her is that she's not connected to this girl. Certainly not the way Joel is. I will say one of the other things I just kept yelling when I played this game, when you, even when I was watching it here, let Ellie decide is what I kept reiterating. I will keep saying it throughout. Ellie obviously doesn't get a choice here. It's two people positioning themselves as the ones who know best and making decisions for Ellie. When it comes to Marlene though, it's a great writing of a character. It's kind of the perfect opposition to what Joel is in this moment is someone who also thinks they know best who also has some grounds for why they think they know best, but is also kind of equally wrong about their decision. You could make a very strong argument that for both of these characters, for Joel and for Marlene, they make the right decision, quote unquote, right. Heavy quotes on that, right? Just based on their worldview, based on their lives, based on their experience, based on what is what defines them as a person and what they value and what they care about. Both of them make a very difficult choice that is completely understandable. Uh, we'll get into more about the Joel part. Completely understandable, maybe it's too strong, but you get what I'm saying there. The tr- One of the most tragic parts about this, though, is that if she didn't make this choice, if she had instead sat, in Joel, sat Joel and Ellie down and explained the stakes and explained the situation, I think the natural conclusion is that Ellie would have voiced that she wants to do it. Joel would have had to accept that. And Joel would have obviously been devastated and had another tragic ending he would have to deal with. And who knows whether he would have wanted to continue living past that. But the, the cure would have been made. And, but, but again, on the flip side, you could argue that Marlene can't do that because what if Ellie says no? Is she going to let her walk out of there? Uh, probably not, right? Like, can you? But it is just, it's so, it, it, it it's such great writing for all of those reasons that Marlene had to do what she did and Joel had to do what he did. And it, it's unfortunate, obviously, that Ellie doesn't get a choice. Joel said in episode six, when he was sort of bullshit rationalizing why he came out to the stables, he just says, you deserve a choice. And we, we pinned and flagged that comment as soon as he said it, because this is obviously such a big part of the finale that Ellie doesn't get a choice. And that's it, it's it's part of what makes everything go wrong. 
it's such a interesting dynamic because as you said, both characters feel they're making the right set of choices that you can sit here and argue that probably the like objectively right thing to do was sit down Ellie, sit down Joel, have them talk it out. We know based on Ellie's comments on the rooftop that she probably would have sacrificed herself and whatever the fallout would have been from there. But as you said, Marlene couldn't risk that she has the cure for humanity in her building. She doesn't, I mean, as I was saying earlier, she doesn't know Ellie well enough to know whether Ellie would make that decision or not. And so she makes a decision for her and makes sure that the cure for humanity happens. So well, I think she has an inkling, right? And, and yeah. certainly game Marlene has a much better idea yeah. that Ellie would uh, do what's right. Now, obviously she confronts Joel later with like, I think she'd want to do what's right. But again, uh, could she take that risk? No, I guess no. Right. From her, from her point of view and, and what happened there. However, uh, again, I, I mentioned this earlier. Marlene is, I think better fleshed out with her motivations, with everything in the game. And a large part of that is these lore pickups that we've talked about time and time again, that are so additive to the story and the experience of playing the last of us that you can't really get in the show. But I want to read these to you because it's important. You get three pieces of lore here. You get a journal and two short recorders. The journal is as follows. This is from Marlene. March 15th. We finally crossed the Utah border. In a couple of days, we'll be back with the others. Today, the crew is in much better spirits. I've been worried about the morale since Greg and Tanya's passing last week. It's good to hear them laughing again. Robin came up to me and said, thanks for watching over us, Marlene. It was a small gesture, but I needed it. March 23rd. Ellie never made it. We arrived at the hospital. There was much celebration, at least from the others. I guess they're happy to see their old friends. We haven't seen some of these guys in over 10 years. But after they told me the news, I couldn't eat. I couldn't talk to anyone. I should be grateful just to be alive. But right now, I just want to shut my eyes for a bit. March 24th. They look at me and I know what they're thinking. That we're a bunch of incompetent grunts. What was I supposed to do? I thought I was going to die. My men were being hunted by the entire Boston battalion. I had to get her out of the city. How was I supposed to know the Firefly escorts were already dead? God damn it. I panicked. In the end, I healed pretty damn quickly and my men were more than capable than I gave them credit for. More than a handful survived the army's attack. I should have kept her with me. Instead, I handed her off to a couple of smugglers. I failed you, Anna. I failed all of us. I am an incompetent grunt. April 25th. I can't stand talking to any of them. I don't think I can take the stairs any longer. No way I can stay here. April 28th. One of our scouts just radioed in. He spotted an older man and a young girl entering the tunnel by the bus terminal. She thinks he might have, she might have had red hair, but she's not sure. What if it's her? Stop doing this, Marlene. The recon squad is about to head out. I'm going to join them. Later on April 28th, when you're lost in the darkness, look for the light. She's alive. They're running the tests on her now. I can't tell if I'm excited, scared, or just nervous. All I know is my hands won't stop shaking. That journal did a lot. I was sort of floored on my replay when I when I hopped back in and, and read all of that because I didn't fully remember the context of how much she was doubting herself in this moment and leading up to when Ellie shows up at the hospital. And not only how much she's doubting herself, but it's very clear her leadership status with the Fireflies is very much in question here, that 
that she had a big shot to help save humanity and she blew it in the eyes of her and a lot of the fireflies. What would you make of that? Well, I would say I'm surprised that we didn't get any of this in the None show. Yeah. And I, we kind of thought that this would be a bit of a Marlene flashback episode, at least part of it, because I mean, again, if we're looking for more ways to kind of pace this out a little bit more, we, we don't hear anything about her trip from Boston to Salt Lake City. And you could have done a five minute scene just yeah. showing those doubts and the awkward stares and feelings of self-doubt. Yeah, exactly. And I was a little surprised we didn't get anything like that. And it, I, I think, like you said, the game does a much better job of fleshing out her feelings, fleshing out. You could spend that five, ten minutes in the show where she's talking about regretting giving Ellie to Joel and Tess and things like that to make it even just stuff like that makes the connection between the two a little bit stronger and add some even more depth to the decision she eventually makes. I'm just surprised we didn't get anything like that in the show. And that is not all because we get two recorders from Marlene. One of them you get, I think pretty early on in the hospital. And then one you get like at the very end, right before you reach the operating room recorder one, she says it's 5 30 PM on April 28th. I just finished speaking more like yelling at our head surgeon. Apparently there's no way to extricate the parasite without eliminating the host. Fancy way of saying we got to kill the fucking kid. And now they're asking for my go ahead. The tests just keep getting harder and harder. Don't they? I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. And I just want this to end. So be it. Recorder two. She's talking directly to Anna. Hey, Anna. It's been a while since we spoke. I, uh, I just gave the go-ahead to proceed with the surgery. I really doubt I had much of a choice. Asking me was more of a formality. I need you to know that I've kept my promise all these years. Despite everything that I was in charge of, I looked after her. I would have done anything for her. And at times, dot, dot, dot. Here's a chance to save us, all of us. This is what we were after, what you were after. They asked me to kill the smuggler. I'm not about to kill the one man in this facility who might understand the weight of this choice. Maybe he can forgive me. Oh, I miss you, Anna. Your daughter will be with you soon. Again, I just feel like this flesh, fleshed out Marlene and her grappling with this choice so much better than than the, sh- the episode did. I liked the flashback we got. I liked getting to see Ashley Johnson as Anna. I liked getting to see everything we got to see, but we don't get any of this context. We don't get any of Marlene grappling with this. We don't get uh, we don't get the notion that she's keeping Joel alive because she's seeking forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is a note I saw a lot from people that hadn't played the game. It's like, why the fuck would Marlene let Joel go? Why would she not kill him? Why would she not kill him at the end? And it's because she's feeling guilty. She does not she, killing Ellie is the last thing she wants to do, but she's making the sacrifice and she needs someone else to understand how horrible it is that she has to do that. And she wants Joel to forgive her for doing it. That makes her a much more emotionally nuanced ending 
I was definitely a little disappointed we didn't get any of this. So this is, I don't know exactly how they could have inserted all this again. I think they could have done some with just like a little five minute scene showing the doubts and uncertainty she had before this. Uh, maybe a quick moment of just that, like maybe he can forgive me, anything like that. I, I feel like that was important to include. I was a little bummed we didn't get it. I think it would have been easy. I mean, this is an example, but even if you just, you, when they knock Joel out, you have a, I think, a moment there where you can introduce, reintroduce Marlene and include maybe a little bit of her journey, but probably more specifically include the weight of her decision with regards to Ellie. Everything basically you read in the journal and in the recorder, her talking about finding Ellie, her talking about her talking to Anna. I mean, that feels like the easiest inclusion because you had Anna and Marlene at the beginning of the episode just include some of that and then lead up to her walking into the room to tell Joel about it. You can even be a little bit ambiguous in how you address it. It just felt like a really big missed opportunity because for people who watched only the show, there isn't a it's hard to really side with Marlene other. I mean, obviously she's uh, the cure for humanity, but you can't really like empathize with her because to the viewer, she just kind of drops in and is like, Oh, Marlene's back. She hasn't really ever had a relationship with Ellie. And now she's making this decision to sacrifice her. She probably doesn't even really care about her when the opposite is very much true in the game, but it was, it just, again, felt like a missed opportunity to really flesh things out. Okay. And then one other line quibble that I have is it, again, just slightly because I just prefer the way they did in the game in the show. Marlene says, I have no other choice. And Joel says, I do in the game. Marlene says, there is no other choice here. And Joel says, yeah, you keep telling yourself that bullshit. I love that line. I like the line better from the game yeah. um, for a few reasons. Number one is again, it's, it's sort of re it, it's, it's a tough thing for Marlene to hear after we know what we just, what we just talked about, right? That she's, she's hoping Joel can forgive her and that he understands I have to do this, right? You get it. You understand, right? And Joel just to say, you keep telling yourself that bullshit. Uh, I think we can infer makes Marlene grapple with that even further. And then we get like the further recordings uh, of her later on that we just talked about. But also, Joel saying, I do? Like, if you're Marlene, should that not be, like, some red flags <laughs> going off there? Like, um, hmm, you know what? Um, like, maybe we should uh, knock him out at, for a while first or uh, throw him in a jail cell until the procedure's done. Uh, because, like... In the game, it's much more understandable that Marlene doesn't think Joel's about to fucking go Rambo through the whole hospital. Yeah. Uh, but Joel saying, I do, I feel like that's more that's, that's more of a red flag to me. You mean after he said that, you wouldn't kindly escort him back to the highway with his backpack and, uh, not, uh, and let him go free? And also, like, Marlene has made it clear she knows what Joel's capable of. Yeah. Granted, she sends double the people she sent him uh, sent at, with him like to escort him out in the game. She only sends one guy who has a handgun. That poor guy never stood a chance. Uh, this time she sends two guys with assault rifles. 
But even still, obviously, it's not enough. Okay, that's enough on Marlene for now. We get to Joel and Joel's choice. So, hopefully, when this set of events happens, I think it's fair to say, and I think the show did a good enough job setting this up, that you realize what was going to happen before it happened. That, oh no, he's going to kill them. Mm -hmm. Oh, he... Oh, he's going to kill all of them. He's going to do anything it takes to get to Ellie. I think they did a good enough job of setting that up. Uh, it has always been a fascinating moment to watch in gameplay when people get to this point. Most of the time, I would say, people are very on board with the plan. It's like, oh, these motherfuckers. All right, we've got to go get Ellie. Let's go do it. Occasionally, I'd say maybe like 10 to 20% of people are like, oh, God, ooh, I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, okay. And then you're going through as Joel. And this, this is part of what makes this ending and, and the stretch of the game so interesting is people can have vastly different reactions to this stretch. But what is important, again, going back to some, something Mason says, is that you understand why he's doing this. My reaction when this first when I first played this was, oh, we have to go get Ellie. Like that it was the intended or the desired uh, reaction is that no, like you're not doing this to Ellie. Ellie's Ellie's with us. And so, yeah, it's always kind of fascinating. I think very much more often than not, people share that emotion and in that you can't do this to Ellie. Like we've been through too much. Ellie's with us. It's particularly, I think, what leads to this as well is that the decision was entirely taken out of your hands, out of your hands, out of Ellie's hands. It was made by somebody else. And that I think is what drives most people to want to go get her is that no, neither of them made this choice. Like somebody made this choice for them. That's not how this is going down. We have to go get Ellie. So yeah, it, it's, it's such a, a, a wild decision basically because you're basically rooting for the person who is going to like he, he you're not going to save humanity you're going to save ellie and every it, more often than not you're rooting for that in my opinion this is whenever i talk about this story without without the context and and the restraints of spoilers as we've done so diligently <laughs> One thing I always come back to is the entire story is leading to this moment. How could someone who, in my opinion, is not an evil person, I don't even think it, I would call him a bad person. I know plenty of people disagree with that. We're going to get more into that later. How could someone that does not have evil in their heart get to this moment to have the option to help save humanity and to willfully and violently choose not to? And it was so compelling that when this moment happened in the game, everything clicked for me and I realized what I had been playing and I realized the story that was been told and I was floored. It's for the second time. I mean, it's Joel's worst nightmare. I mean, for the second time in his, in his life, his daughter is being ripped away from him for quote unquote, the greater good. With Sarah, it was, we can't let anybody out. Even if you think you're infected or not, we have to quarantine 
the city and he loses Sarah because of that. And then obviously in this situation, there's an even greater good. But again, it's his worst nightmare, as you've kind of said throughout, is that Joel is literally reliving his worst nightmare once again. He is losing his daughter once again, and he has spent 20 plus years reliving that, but also (laughs) kind of unknowingly building up a skill set that can lead to him avoiding that situation. And the moment when he makes the decision that, no, I'm not reliving this again, we're not going through, this is not playing out the same way again is when, as you said, it all kinds of, it kind of clicks and it, you realize what you're about to do. It's an incredible way to tell a story, as you said, to, I don't think, Certainly before the outbreak, Joel was not a bad person. And I don't, there might be some more debate whether he's a bad person or not, or how whatever kind of semantics you want to use when describing him, what he did after the outbreak, but he's not an evil person. He's not someone kind of fueled by evil. And yet you get to this moment where he's, basically of ending humanity in that he's not letting there be a cure. I also think again about just the small moment from episode one, adding the I'm sorry to the soldier of just another example. And they've done so many good jobs throughout the season of paralleling the ideas of this choice. Are you willing to do something horrible for the better good? Uh, Are you willing to doom the, the greater good for someone you love? Uh, all of these choices have been leading obviously to this moment and foreshadowing this moment. I want to read this quote from Mason that was from the inside of the episode because I think it was so well fucking said and exemplifies why I am so confident with him at the helm of this thing. And it reflects, I think, a lot of the thoughts that we share. Mason says, time doesn't really heal anything. It just makes it fade. But people heal things. And in that moment, you understand the depth of what she means to him. The horror of it all is that's why the ending has to be the way it is. The ending is something people have been arguing about for over a decade. Should Joel have done what he did? And a lot of people will say no, and a lot of people will say yes. In the end, the only thing we can be sure of is that we know why he did it, and we understand that Ellie would not have wanted him to do it. That complexity is why the narrative of The Last of Us is so gorgeous, It's why it's the most beautiful story ever told in the entire genre of video games. It's why Neil is a genius, and it's why I wanted to make this show in the first place. Absolutely A-fucking-men. A thousand percent agree with Craig Mazin. It's such an emotionally complex story, culminating in this moment, and culminating in this choice and what uh, Joel does. That leads us to a poll I did for science. (laughs) On our Twitter account, which we need more followers on there, people. Follow us at TLOU Nerds. I'll thank you for it. We'll, we'll, we'll keep you entertained in the offseason with uh, with tweets and keep you updated on news and thoughts and questions. And it's a good way to interact with us while we're so desperately waiting for season two slash The Last of Us Part 3 as well. Or The Last of Us Factions. I'll settle for that too. But I said, okay, I got to ask for science. No spoilers for those that haven't caught up yet, but we'll simply ask, did you support what Joel did slash were you rooting for it? 77 votes, 63.6% said yes. 
36.4% said no. I think that's about the split I expected, somewhere around there. They actually mentioned, excuse me, they actually mentioned that in play tests when they were doing this game, if someone wasn't a parent, it was pretty much 50-50 of whether or not they agreed with what Joel did or rooting for it. I forget what the exact terminology of the question was. But then if that person was a parent, it was 100%, no exceptions, they were agreeing with what Joel did. Uh, I don't know the population writ large would say 100% of parents would do that, uh, but I, I do think that that definitely says something about what the unconditional love a parent could feel for this child does. I don't have any kids. Jacob, to my knowledge, I don't think you have any kids. Uh, so we're not fully qualified to perhaps comment on that, but I do think that's an interesting tidbit, and I think that leads us to this decision we were sort of talking about. Is Joel a bad person? Because... Think about it. All it takes for 60, for two thirds of the population of, of this very scientific poll that we did uh, with clearly enough sample size, not, not course, say with a very large sample size. Yeah, yeah, of course, with all of all of the reach that we have. But again, I, I do think just anecdotally, that seems about right with the yeah. with people that we've known, we've watched, uh, observed the story over time. All it takes for rooting for someone to do a mass murder in a hospital, which prevents mankind from creating a cure to the disaster that ended the world effectively, all it took was spending less than eight hours in Joel's shoes and understanding what that person went through to get to that moment. That's why this is such a complicated question. If you strictly look at things from an, from a utilitarian perspective or a black and white Here's what this person did. Here's the consequences of those actions. I think it's impossible to arrive at any answer other than, yes, Joel's a bad person. Yeah. Think about, for example, who Joel is killing. Who is he slaughtering during this time? He's slaughtering, first of all, Joel does not support the troops. If ever there was a cause to support the troops on, it is this, right? It is the, the armed militia group that is the last, as far as we know of, group that is trying to restore society, trying to fight to preserve humanity, to help make a cure, to do all these things, to overthrow a tyrannical government. These are the good guys. And yet, again, people were still rooting for this. And this goes back to what I was talking about. The entire human experience is subjective. In many ways, this game and this story really makes me reckon with and question things that I thought I knew, especially when it comes to morality. It's very easy for me to be angry over an election when a bunch of people voted for someone that I thought was a terrible person. And very easy for me to angrily say, fuck all of those X percent of people that, that did this. How could you do that? And then you meet some people that are maybe outside your bubble. It makes you feel a little bit differently. Uh, and you learn why someone might feel a certain different way. And that's not going to change my political views, but I do think it goes back to this point of tribalism. You have to stop viewing people at large as primarily a threat, and you have to lead with having more empathy as a person and understanding how different people could arrive to different situations because most people are not David. Most people are not absolute monsters that will do horrific things and rape little girls and wants to eat you and will do all these things. Most people are the Jameses of the world who's trying to do the best he can making difficult choices. Most people are Joel. Most people are Marlene. Most people are Ellie. Most people are 
Henry. Most people are Bill and Frank. They're just people that are trying to do the best they can, make the best decisions they can, but they've been heavily impacted by their lives. And that is just what I think is so powerful about this story is it, is it exemplifies that in like the most drastic circumstances in the most extreme ways, but in a really thought provoking way. I think it's um, the, the point you made. If you just look at this black and white, is Joel a good or bad person? Especially after the the scene we're going to talk about, but basically the decision he made and how he enacted upon that. Yeah, he's not a good person, but it, it's always about the context, about how how he got to that point. And I would, th- I think at least everyone who plays the game can understand why he did what he did. Even if you don't agree with it, even if you weren't rooting for it, you can understand what led to him getting to that moment. And that's just what makes it such a incredible game, an incredible story, more than even just a game, just an incredible story that even in this show, you're only with him, as you said, eight, even eight and a half hours halfway through this. Uh, and it's not even really that long. And you still understand and most people root for him to do this. And it's just a a fascinating look at how, like you said, human experience is subjective. It's all different for everybody. There isn't necessarily a, a way to look at it black and white and context needs to factor into everything. And when you take the context of everything Joel has suffered throughout his life, the the pain he's experienced emotionally and place him back into effectively what was that exact same situation again i think a lot of people would have reacted the same way and that maybe not as violently but you're not going to make me relive this again i'm not going to sit and stand by idly and not do anything about this again it's so fascinating, as I've said, to watch people's reactions to this moment and to this choice. And I've seen people have, I've seen people from the same sort of uh, temperament, see people with wildly different forms of temperament. And I've seen reactions all over the board. And I think it's important to keep in mind a couple of things here. First of all, you could ask someone just the simple question. Would you, would you sacrifice uh, something to this extent for the person that you love most? I bet a lot of people would say yes to that question, even without these traumatic circumstances, even without the apocalypse, even without a lot of that stuff. Would 2003 Joel have done this to save Sarah? I could argue maybe because yeah. you, you could see what sort of mindset he was in from the jump of outbreak day of what he, like he was not willing to pick up the hitchhikers. He was, uh, you know, he was ready to kill Nana, even though he didn't really fully understand what was happening at that point. Uh, It's important to remember that Joel has had to witness 20 years of post-apocalyptic humanity. Is it even worth saving? I think the answer is yes, but you could forgive Joel if he thought the answer was no, Uh, especially with post-apocalyptic humanity kicking off with someone murdering his daughter. Yeah. Uh, And on top of all of that, you are asking a very dangerous man to relive 
the worst trauma possible that almost killed him, that he almost killed himself over that. And not only that, but he had found his way back after everything. Sorry, I'm going to get choked up. This is what this story does to me. After everything, Ellie helped him find his way back to some semblance of the humanity that he had lost. And he felt love again. And he was overcome with emotion and he's willing to accept the loss of Sarah in a way that he never was before Ellie. And now you're asking to take Ellie away from him and throw all of that out the window and also experience the worst trauma of his life again. And at the very least, you have to understand where Joel has come from. And if, if you come away from this game and you say Joel is a monster for doing what he did. I think you could make an argument for that. I think you could say that, and I wouldn't call you crazy, but I also think you missed something if that was your takeaway. And I think this was, it's, it's just, it's so emotionally complex. It feels so honest. It feels so true. And it is horrific. Don't get me wrong. And the show treats it as horrific, which we're about to get into, but I, I, I could talk forever about Joel as a character and what makes him so compelling and so rich. He's one of my favorite characters, if not my favorite character ever. And that's not me saying, oh, he's the best person ever. I love and support everything you do, Joel. Uh, jokingly, we almost named this. Well, I wouldn't say almost. Jacob was never fully on board. But while we were trying to find a name for this podcast, I was like, uh, how about the Joel did nothing wrong podcast? And that's not because I truly believe that Joel did nothing wrong, but more because it would be it would be fun, inject a little bit of personality, you know, where we're what sort of temperament we were coming from with regards to this story. But I, I, I just think he's he's such a fascinating character and it's such a fascinating choice and it's such a bold fucking decision and direction to go in a story. And it's just it, it what keeps me coming back to it every time. It just floors me consistently. The part you said about is is the world even worth saving is part of a like another set of questions i've always had about this moment too specifically on that the the post-apocalyptic humanity joel has lived through he probably doesn't think it's worth saving because as you said it was kicked off by killing his daughter and now we have this situation as well but I don't devil's advocate, maybe a little bit. A lot of the questions I have are also about would the vaccine have even worked? I don't know that Joel was really considering any of this when he made his decision, but I think it's also something you can factor in as well because it's presented. I don't, maybe not intentionally, but it is presented as like Ellie was the cure. If we found, if we got everything from her, then the world is saved. There's a still a lot of like logistical hurdles you have to go through at that point. We don't specifically know that they could have like reverse engineered a vaccine. They seem pretty confident they had, they could, but they don't know that for a fact. We also, and again, you kind of get into more of the logistical things. Could they actually produce the vaccine if they, we're able to reverse engineer it. Can you replicate it? it we're also talking about a post-apocalyptic world that the technology isn't there that was there 20 years ago. Even if you're in a hospital, 
you're asking a lot of a hospital that hasn't been kept up for most of the last 20 years. If say that you do get the vaccine completed and you do replicate it, do you trust the fireflies with it? Because as we've, we kind of talked about it more in the Ellie and Riley episode when they were kind of going back and forth about uh, the propaganda and stuff like that. Neither side is wholly good. Do you trust the fireflies to fully deliver this vaccine? Could they even mass produce it? Because that takes a lot of technology as well. And it's easy to maybe get one vaccine, but can you do that millions of times? To do that, you would think Fedra would have to go along with it. Would Fedra even believe them? Would they even go along with them? It's not two sides that have worked hand in hand throughout the post-apocalyptic world. So would Fedra go along with it? But then kind of the, as you uh, said, is the world worth saving? Even in this glimpse of what we've seen of the world Joel has seen, Fedra was kind of running wild. There's places like Kansas City before the infected. Not anymore. Well, yeah, before the infected took over that. I don't know that many people would argue that was worth saving. There's raiders everywhere. And Joel once was included among them. And then you also have the aspect of if you get all of this done, if you get it mass produced, are people even going to trust the vaccine? We have some real world experience with that, but what the this is also a post-apocalyptic world where all the science failed them. And they now are in a world where infected are running wild and everything collapsed. Are people going to trust a new vaccine that it is going to fix everything? They are infected running wild, though. Maybe there's only one in each state. There could be. At this point, we don't know. But uh, those are questions like that are what I've always grappled with, too. It's less to do with is Joel kind of evil or bad because um, a lot of those don't really have to do with Joel. But it's not as simple as like, well, if Joel didn't do that, then the world would be saved because there's still a lot of hoops you have to jump through. Again, I don't think Joel was considering most of those questions. Maybe the the is the world worth saving part. He, I, I think he could have maybe considered that, but he probably wasn't thinking about all those logistical questions, but they're, they are there. We don't know that specifically if Ellie was alive, we would have a mass cure for everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the story is more powerful, not trying to, I get that your devil's advocating it that, yes. that, but I think it's more powerfully thematic. If we just assume it's a given, it would have worked and they would have found a way to effectively Druckmann said as much, at least in regards to the game canon that yes, the vaccine would have worked, uh, but Joel yeah. stopped it. But I do one quick note on here. It's a word that I've seen thrown around describing this choice by Joel is not that some people say he's a bad person. Some people, yeah, I've seen some people say it's evil. What he does. I don't think so. Uh, but one word that gets thrown a lot is selfish. And the question of is Joel selfish for doing what he does and me personally, that is not the word that I would use. I, I'd say maybe uh, nearsighted or, or short-sighted or uh, it, it's just that his priorities are different. I Because I don't think he does it for himself. I don't – I think while obviously trying to avoid reliving part of his trauma is part of his deep-seated motivation, 
I think primarily he's doing it out of love. I think he loves Ellie more than he loves the future of humanity. And I I think that's more where he's coming from. And I did want to take a quick moment to point out again, we talked about this a little bit in spoiler sections, but if you missed it, there's been a lot of parallels along the way to this choice. Like I mentioned, Henry's choice of giving up that one great man for Sam. That's not in the game. It's another parallel to Joe's choice. Bill and Frank parallels uh, the you were my purpose, that whole idea of being someone else's purpose. And what would I do if I didn't have that? Obviously, that's very relevant to the story. And Bill's letter, which was so heavy with foreshadowing, which was that's why men and you like you and me are here. We have a job to do. And God help any motherfuckers who get in our way. Big yikes. Some motherfuckers got in Joel's way uh, and God help them. But I want to talk about how they handled Joel's rampage. Because this was another, you could argue it was an issue with the pacing. Uh, I timed it, and it took less than five minutes from the time that the Joel and Marlene conversation ended to him shooting the doctor in the head. To me, that was too quick. Uh, This is a section of the game, obviously, it's very difficult. There's a lot of fireflies with body armor. They killed me a lot on this last playthrough. It was very difficult. But I, I, I guess I get where the show is coming from, that they chose not to glorify this with a crazy action sequence of like John Wick-esque of uh, doing this. And especially with the, the sad, somber score, it was treated like we were watching a thing of horror. And I definitely get why they did that. And it is a moment of horror. And it's... It's effective. It's it's a mass shooting, effectively, and he, oops, Joel did a mass murder. It's bad, uh, but it was. I don't know. I, I guess I definitely would like to see the alternate version of this show where they did have a, a fifteen minute thrilling action sequence. But what what did you make of this whole the way they handled everything? I actually I liked it kind of in a vacuum. I obviously didn't. Like I said, I had issues with the pacing. I maybe this this I mean this did play a, a little bit of a role in it. Like you said, it's very different <laughs> in the game. It it took me a few more than five minutes to get from hospital room to Ellie. But I do th- the way that they did this. It makes it more, as you said, horrific. And I kind of like the impact that leaves. I I like that you could have made it a super long shootout and maybe it'd have been a, a, an adrenaline pumping one, but I don't know that the feeling of kind of horror would have come across as strong because when you're playing it with the score, with this sad, somber music, like we talked about, and I believe uh, they mentioned it in the official podcast, Joel basically disassociates in this moment and becomes kind of the old Joel. And I think that's kind of further illustrated when with the music playing loudly over top of it and kind of muffling all the, the actual sounds, I think it, if their intended kind of emotional responses horror mixed with like i don't even really i i've watched reactions to it already and a lot of people are like cheering joel on while also acknowledging that like 
oh god this is really bad like the the moment when he shoots someone that is surrendering it, it's moments like that where that all of that brutality in this in this scene it is more impactful because there isn't as much of that in the show and that's something that we'd kind of made mental note of throughout is that there wasn't there's a lot of moments in the game where Joel goes like superhero mode whether it's with infected whether it's with raiders whatever it may be there's moments where he's taking down a dozen people in a single sequence so when you I mean, when you get to this point in the game, you do take down a lot of people. So it still weighs heavily. But I think by just not having nearly as much of that and then having so much of it in this moment. It really drives home the decision Joel has made. And like I said, this is the old Joel. This is the quote unquote real Joel, the Joel that we've kind of they've kind of alluded to throughout the the Joel that was with Tommy, the Joel that Maria feared and the Joel that Maria warned Ellie about that Maria back in Jackson warned Ellie that it's the people closest to us that can kind of hurt us the most. This is what she warned Ellie about. And we're kind of seeing it. We're not kind of, we're seeing it play out in real time as he just rampages his way through this hospital I ultimately, I think I do like how they did it again in a vacuum. There are larger pacing issues with the show. If there's, I would probably, this would have been one of the last things I would have changed in that regard because I just, I like the kind of mixed emotions this conveyed throughout this moment that, yeah, we're rooting for Joel, but also we're realizing what he's doing is just awful. Yeah, that's just, I don't know how I feel about it because I, I I think the score very clearly wants you to feel in that moment how awful what Joel is doing is. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't feel like a lot of gameplay. And again, this is a different medium and it's different when you've, you've been killing people the whole time in a video game because it's a video game. But I think the horror of the moment doesn't really kick in in the game until you get to the operating room. And until you are facing just a, do- a surgeon with a scalpel trying to save humanity and you have to kill him. I think that's when the horror kicks in for a lot of people when you're playing the game. Body count going into this episode, we had Joel at 10 and Ellie was at 2.5. In the, in the last episode, in the winter episode, Joel racked up three and Ellie racked up two. I think this episode, Joel got to like about a dozen to 15. It is very difficult to tell, though, with how they edited it, because you can see a lot of the people die. And then you also just get like shots of bodies that I think are bodies that we didn't see die. It's just so it's difficult to get an accurate tabulation on this. I'm going to ballpark and say he got about 15. Um, And when you get to the surgeon, a couple small things were cut here. Surgeon says, I won't let you take her. The line that got caught that he says in the game is, this is our future. Think of all the lives we'll save. Well, I should note, not necessarily cut, because if you pull out the gun right away and shoot him, maybe he doesn't even get that far. <laughs> uh, but also cut was there, there was a recorder. The notable part about that was he said, we are about to hit a milestone in human history equal to the discovery of penicillin. After years of wandering in circles, we're about to come home 
make a difference, and bring the human race back in control of its own destiny, all of our sacrifices and the hundreds of men and women who have bled for this cause or worse will not be in vain. So this is, I I mentioned the horror of this moment. Uh, Please, people, if you're not a video game player, don't judge us too harshly for what we're about to, to describe to you. In the game, you have to kill the surgeon. There's no other way through the, through the story uh, in, unless you kill the surgeon. You can either walk up to him and you hit square, and some people hit square thinking, oh, I'll just punch him and I'll knock him out. If you hit square, Joel grabs his scalpel and stabs him in the neck. You could also hit triangle. Uh, that grabs his scalpel and stabs him in the neck. Alternatively, <laughs> you could use any of the weapons you have to kill the surgeon, but regardless, the surgeon has to die. There are two other nurses in the room in the game. There's a male nurse and a female nurse. And as soon as you kill the surgeon... The female nurse says, you fucking animal. And the male nurse says, Carrie, shut the hell up. Because the male nurse does not want to die. It is up to you from that point whether the nurses live or not. Uh, I would be curious for the stats on this. Sony, if you have the stats, release the nerd <laughs> mortality stats. I want to know. But I asked all of my friends who had played The Last of Us over under 1.5 doctors slash nurses killed. What are you taking? Every single person I ask took the over and the house is laughing all the way to the bank with the under because Joel only kills one. Jacob, he just kills the surgeon. He lets the nurses go. The first time I played it, everybody in that room, uh, RIP, uh, I was I was on a mission and nobody was stopping me. I also didn't fully realize that I didn't need to kill the nurses it was just everybody was in there. Ellie was in there. I needed to get her out. Every time after that, I let them live. I I found some morality between those playthroughs, but uh, a little surprised that Joel goes on that rampage and then doesn't kill them. But yeah, I would have absolutely smashed the over on that one and am very surprised at the under hit. That's why the house always wins, Jacob. You they they know even even when it seemed it, it was a trap bet for sure. Uh, we also get Laura Bailey, who is notable for the last of us. She played a couple small roles in the game, including actually a nurse, uh, but she plays a very prominent role in part two. She plays the role of they, they've said on the podcast she plays the role of Abby. We're not going to tell you anything about Abby, but that is a character in the last of us part two that is played by Laura Bailey. That's all you need to know. She's a nurse in the, in that in that uh, cameo, which is a nice little cameo. Do we, uh, do we need to do a uh, morality vibe check on killing the nurses or killing the doctors just or literally everything that just happened that just Joel did? One. I feel like that's what this whole section is. This whole section is a morality <laughs> vibe check, Jacob, but uh, mixed. The morality vibe check is mixed to say the least. Uh, again, this is such a, it's, it's such a morality vibe check for people in general. You could wash the sweetest, most adorable, uh, lighthearted girl play this last of us game. And then they get to the end and they pull out the flamethrower and torch the nurses and the doctor, like all, all cards, everything is on the table. Okay. When it, when it comes to this ending, because the game has you so worked up and ready to go save Ellie that some people unleash some violence in this final scene. So it's really up to the player. I'm sure that sounds super fucked up to people that haven't played the game. It's a, (laughs) it's a trust us. You had to be there. Uh, slash don't knock it till you tried it 
no, I'm just, I'm not trying to, anyway, sorry, I'm going to stop talking before I get into further trouble. Uh, are we re- th- there was a lot in that section. Are we ready to go on to part three? I know, I know we're, we're going long on runtime already. We're in for the long haul at this point. All right, let's go. Part three, swear. Once he arrives at the parking garage level, Marlene approaches Joel with her gun drawn. Marlene tells Joel that he can't save Ellie forever because she lives in a broken world that he could have saved. Maybe, but it ain't for you to decide. Nor you, Marlene says. So what would she want? Because I think she'd want to do the right thing. And you know it. Marlene lowers her gun and says they can still try to find a way even after what he's done. We cut to Joel driving down the highway deep in conflicted thought. And for a brief, agonizing moment, we're left to wonder whether he could have really left Ellie behind. But no, we hear Ellie stir. Joel's rampage was one majorly divisive choice, and here comes another. He decides to lie to Ellie. He tells her the Fireflies just ran some tests on her, that there are actually dozens of people that are immune, just like Ellie. The Firefly doctors couldn't make any of it work, and there were raiders who attacked the compound, so Joel had to pull Ellie out of there. Ellie asked Joel if people got hurt. Yes. Ellie asks if Marlene is okay, and Joel does not answer. I'm taking us home, Joel says. I'm sorry. This exchange is intercut with him shooting Marlene. He puts Ellie in the car. He comes back to a wounded Marlene who begs Joel to let her live. You just come after her, Joel says, before shooting Marlene in the head. The car breaks down about a five-hour hike outside of Jackson, and Joel tells Ellie that he and Sarah used to take hikes like this. And he tells Ellie that Sarah would have liked her. Though he notes they're definitely different kids. He tells Ellie the main reason Sarah would have liked her is that Ellie is funny. She would have made Sarah laugh. And he tells Ellie that he thinks she would have liked Sarah too. And Ellie agrees. At a clearing overlooking Jackson, not far now, Ellie tells Joel to wait. Time to face the uncomfortable conversation she has been dreading since she woke up. Ellie tells Joel and confirms what we suspected by telling him that she needed to kill Riley once she had turned, but she was just the first to die. Then it was Tess, and then it was Sam. Joel tells Ellie that these deaths are not on her and that she has to keep going and she'll find something to fight for, but Ellie isn't even listening. Swear to me, Ellie says. Swear to me that everything that you said about the Fireflies is true. Joel does not break eye contact. I swear. The music builds and pauses, and Ellie has a moment of conflicted thought before saying, okay. And that is how The Last of Us ends, and that is how The Last of Us Season 1 ends. And we should note... We didn't know if we were ever going to get a sequel to this game when we played this ending. This was an ending. And again, I talked about it before. This was a ballsy ending. To end a video game on this note of just a a parent lying to their child uh, and all the horrific things he did to keep her safe. I haven't seen a video game ending like this. uh, And it certainly is... It's one of my favorite endings, uh, again, as I've said. It's such a uh, 
Yeah, it's what I was saying at the beginning. I think this might have hit a little bit different for those that watched the TV show only and didn't play the game. Because when we played the game, we thought this was it. And I kind of said this, but there were no indications of there being a second game. There was there wasn't a sequel announced. There wasn't a second season announced, anything like that. We played this game. We get as attached as we clearly are to all these characters. And then you're hit with just okay. And it wasn't even like we immediately or would soon find out that there'd be a second game. It was a long time before we found out there'd be a second game. So you just kind of have to live with that. I think maybe the viewer who hasn't watched or hasn't played the game probably had a little bit of a different reaction to this. It's still an incredible cliffhanger. It's still an incredible moment and one we'll talk about in a minute. But you know there's more story to be told. And you know that they're going to unpack that, okay, more moving forward. There's already a second season announced. Even if there wasn't, people knew that there was a second game, stuff like that. So, like, you knew there was more to it. I don't think it probably hit the same in that moment as it did. But, again, that's not to say this is still an incredible, like, cliffhanger. And we're still going to have to wait years before probably the second season comes out. So, yeah, it's still going to hold a lot of weight and that you're not going to get any answers unless you choose to play the game. But man, goddamn, what a way to end a story. What a way to end this story specifically. So with regards to killing Marlene, we were definitely very curious how they were going to handle this. They choose pretty much to handle it the exact same way that the game did with regards to the editing and the, when you see which part of, from when Joel exits the elevator, talking to Marlene, oh, you can still do the right thing, and then it cuts to Joel in the car, and you don't know Ellie's there for a second. You're like, what? No. Like, what? No. He he didn't leave her behind, did he? Did he? Uh, but no, he didn't, of course. And then you don't see until Joel starts to describe his lie that they've stopped looking. There are dozens of people like Ellie, and they've stopped looking for a cure, that then you see Marlene gets shot. I will say one editing difference. I liked hearing the gunshot uh, that they did in the show that you can't hear the gunshot in the game. Uh, I think, I think that was, it was a good shocking uh, like, wow. Uh, so I, I think that was a slight good decision. Uh, one thing that was not a good decision was Marlene lowering the gun. <laughs> uh, Marlene, I, again, complex for all the reasons we talked about, even if the show didn't fully flesh it out. But if you get to that moment and Joel has just rampaged through your troops and the hospital, don't lower the gun. Just you like, you know, if you're if you're rooting for Marlene here, you definitely want him to her to just shoot Joel. Uh, yeah. Not a good decision. I don't. It's kind of a question of how much Marlene entirely knew. I'm sure somebody had raced to tell her to, that Joel is uh, rampaging his way. I think if she had the full context of what happened, uh, she said something like no matter how in in the show, at least she said something like no matter how many people you kill, like Ellie's still going to grow up, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think she knew somewhat. Yeah. So regardless, very bad decision to lower the gun. Uh, It again, I guess it's her maybe a little bit of guilt. I, I, it, 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 it made a little bit more sense in the game as like one last rationale to try to reason with someone who she thinks she can relate to didn't make as much sense in the show, but I am very glad that they kept the sequencing that they did. And 
going back and forth, giving you that moment where Pedro Pascal closes his eyes and kind of shakes his head where you think, oh, my God, she left her and or he left her, excuse me. And it you find out that she's in the backseat, kind of waking up from her anesthesia. It's a it was a great moment. And I'm glad that they kept that the the exact same way. It's interesting in their conversation that they have. Joel very much, you can tell in that moment, is aware of what Ellie would choose. And it might be something he's only really allowing himself to realize in that moment. I don't know how much he thought about it when he first found out that she was going to be killed. And I think the main thing on his mind at that point is... I have to go get her now that he has her and he's having this conversation. You certainly see it in his face that he realizes this is what Ellie would want, which also makes the decision to kind of, or to, to kill Marlene. And effectively at that point, you know, you have to lie to Ellie. What just happened? That specific moment carries a lot of weight for, what he's how he's going to kind of explain himself after then but also like you know the concept of being pot committed he already did the mass murder (laughs) you know it's it's a little late to take backsies on that one so a little awkward uh already killed the surgeon Um, yeah when when marlene says like there's still there's still time or there's still a chance i'm like uh i think that's already passed like hey the nurses lived the nurses lived, okay? All right, Joel took the under. Maybe they could figure it out. Um, who knows? But uh, the, the biggest difference in terms of the lie, uh, Joel does a little bit of a better job, in my opinion, of covering his ass in the show, where he mentions that Raiders uh, came in and he had to get her out of there, and that's why. There's really no explanation of that. In the game, Joel just basically said, "I, I they ran some tests. I, I saw they weren't any good. I got us out of there. Time to go to Tommy's. Um but he, he covers his ass a little bit better that obviously could, ex- if she hears for some reason that the fireflies were wiped out or anything, she could understand why that had happened. Uh, and then there's less, less, less of a question of like, why would you take me out of there before I could talk really to the fireflies? Uh, that's, that's a little different, obviously. Two other additions. Well, it's kind of within the same context, but in the game, she doesn't ask where people hurt. And then she doesn't specifically ask about Marlene, which I think adds a couple more layers to everything as well. Which I've, I like, I guess crafting upgrade for the original game, go back in time 10 years, but Ellie had a relationship with Marlene in the game. So it was a little weirder that she never asked about her and she barely has a relationship with her in the show, but she still asks about her. So, but I think that is true to Ellie that she would ask about that. But uh, just one small note there. And then we get to uh, the hike. Uh, this is where in the game uh, we mentioned you had been you went from Sarah in the prologue to Joel at the end of the prologue to Joel throughout until winter, and then you play Ellie during that stretch of winter, intercutting with Joel at some points, and then from from this point on, from Salt Lake City on, you're just you're just playing as Joel, no Ellie. But then when you get to this part outside Jackson, you're going on this hike. You're Ellie once again. I liked the 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 notion about. Joel telling Ellie that Sarah would have liked her uh, and that he thinks Ellie would have liked her too. That's there. I like that they extrapolated on this a little bit just by explaining like she would have liked you because you are funny. You would have made her laugh. And we saw Nico Parker laugh and, and Joel's right. He, she had a killer smile. 
it was a, it was a beautiful thing to see when, when that girl was laughing. And obviously that's probably something, something Joel's thought a lot about of his, his daughter that died and seeing her smile. And he probably thought a lot about Sarah of how they would have gotten along. And the fact that he feels comfortable, he's so open and he's so, uh, Again, in some ways, Joel very fucked up still, in some ways, very healed because he's talking to Ellie fully. I think him highlighting the differences between the two leads for, lends further credence to the idea that this is not like Joel's just replacing Sarah and that it is a genuine father-daughter love, but different. He knows that they're different. He knows that this is not Sarah. He's not trying to pretend that this is Sarah or anything like that. I think that speaks to that. And then we get to this final conversation which almost beat for beat like the game and joel chooses to lie once again he swears to ellie's face man um it's a it's like the moment of truth and it is well the moment of lie Uh, yeah 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 exactly the moment of lie but it's the moment that that shapes their relationship going forward. I think as they're, well, I I don't think, I think it's pretty clear as they're hiking, Ellie doesn't really believe Joel. Certainly there's some doubt whether she thinks she's, she, he's lying or, or what the full context of it is. I don't think she's sure, but there's doubt there uh, that he told her the truth. And I think she spends a lot of the, the hike maybe building up the courage or debating whether to confront Joel on that because it's obviously um, on her mind and she's kind of expressing the same level of like disconnectedness as she did in the, when they first get to Salt Lake, it's just for different reasons. She's very much thinking about something else. So it weighs on her. And when she finally does confront him, you can see her kind of nervous pacing back and forth as she is trying to find the right words to, to say to him. And as you said, from that point on, it's pretty much beat for beat what it is in the game, some small kind of subtle changes, but ultimately it, it plays out the same ending. And Craig Mazin said they went with that because it is the perfect ending. And so it's man, I love it because like I said, this shapes the dynamic of their relationship moving forward. It's kind of the last chance. I think Ellie gives Joel for coming clean on everything. I also, well, I was going to say, I also think it's pretty clear when she says, okay, that, it, it carries a lot of weight. I guess, what do you think she means when she says, okay. So this, this is where I mentioned this spoiler. I don't even think it's a spoiler warning because I, I, I am surprised that the creators and cast were so ready to talk about what the okay means and like what's going on in Ellie's head. Cause in, again, in my opinion, that was, that was the cliffhanger. Does she believe him? What is she thinking? Uh, does she know he's lying? Uh, how is that going to affect their relationship going forward, et cetera, et cetera. So if you don't want to know what they said, or if for some reason you avoided it, skip ahead a couple minutes. Uh, if, if you don't want to hear that, uh, I think Bella put it best in terms of the accuracy of what 
Ellie's going through that moment. She said, quote, she knows deep down that he's not telling the truth, but she can't let herself believe it because it's too painful. It's too scary. The idea that her only purpose in life hasn't been fulfilled and that it had been taken away from her by the person she loves most. I think that is the accurate read. Um, I think it's not that she believes him. It's that she is choosing to believe him because the alternative is not a, is not something she can accept. Not, not only the fact that Joel did that, but that he would lie to her about it. This is another moment where some people have criticized Joel of being selfish again. Again, I do not think that this, this is how I would describe it. I think everything Joel has done to this point shows us that what he is doing in this moment is trying to shield Ellie from the horrible truth. And I think in a lot of ways, he's putting a lot on the line of personal risk to do so. He is risking the sanctity of their relationship, of the openness and trust that they had built. And he knows Ellie would not want him to lie to her. And he's putting all of that on the line because he knows the truth would devastate Ellie. And again, in doing so, I think he's risking effectively their whole relationship. One small tidbit on here is in the game. When Joel tells Ellie, you keep finding something to fight for, he very noticeably grabs his watch. And you can tell that just it's instinctive for him. That's what he go he he's, he reaches back to that for comfort, this tout this this uh token of Sarah and reminder of of what he's lost. And yet he still found a way to keep going and something to fight for. And he didn't maybe even at times know what it was, but now he has a greater clarity of purpose, obviously, and that is Ellie. And finding himself in that father role once again. I think Bella more or less described how I always felt with that okay. And to me, it was always like, basically like, look, I still cared deeply about this person more so than anyone else, but... They're also pretty clearly not being truthful with me about something that's very important to me. And it's going to kind of change our relationship in, in some ways. It's her kind of accepting or choosing to accept almost a new reality in some ways. And that she, I don't know how much she can all, like, she can't unequivocally trust Joel anymore if she feels that he's not being truthful to her. So it, it changes the dynamic a little bit. If you think back to kind of the last time we saw them talk, interacting with one another before this, it's them reading puns together and laughing. And like, you can still have that, but I, I just don't know that it's just going to have a different feel to it now. And I, I think that okay is her kind of accepting that like, he's, he's not being truthful with me, but I care too much about him to, maybe allow myself to be hurt as Bella kind of said. So I'm, I'm going to disagree with you because th that is effectively what Ashley said on the podcast. And I hate to disagree with Ashley Johnson, who just in many for ways, the record, you're disagreeing with what I am. Ellie says about Ellie. I'm, I'm more agreeing with what Bella said uh, and, and what Mason said. Uh, I think Ashley, I, I, I don't think Ellie actively consciously, is fully processing Joel is lying. I don't think that's the case, at least not in this moment. Uh, I think she is deep down 
Deep down, she might feel that he's lying, but she is making a conscious choice in this moment to believe him. That's my interpretation. And that's interesting if you, if you feel differently, because that's, I, 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 I don't, I don't agree with the sentiments that Ashley, uh, again, they didn't necessarily directly say, oh, I think you're wrong, but also Mason and Bella's uh, comments, I think, paint a different light, one that I more agree with than but Ashley. God, this is awkward. I don't want to be disagreeing with Ashley Johnson. Um, I, I was I was sort of taken aback when I heard her say that on the pod, but definitely I, I think she is consciously choosing, okay, I am I am accepting this, but deep down there's doubt. Is is my that's 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 my read. That's my interpretation. And again, hey, maybe this is great. Maybe they didn't give anything away at all, and they intentionally misled us with uh, five different directions of what it could be, so people could still speculate going into season two. But at least that's how that's how I view it. Yeah, I was less bothered by them giving answers because they were such different answers, and that mm. it doesn't really answer anything. I think this is one of my very very maybe the most favorite part about this game is just the way she says okay you clearly can take it in a lot of different directions and i i mean i do think she understands i i'm trying to debate if lying and not telling the truth is the same thing it's a semantics thing but i don't i think i've always interpreted it as she doesn't believe him that she doesn't believe that he's being honest with her but she's kind of okay with that in a way because he means so much to her, at least in that moment, she's okay with the idea that he isn't being, he's lying to me. He isn't being truthful, however you want to word it, but he is clearly the most important person to her. And it's a kind of the reality she's choosing to accept. I just always think back to the part where when she's saying it, swear to me, everything you said about the fireflies is true she's like basically begging him to just admit that you at least lied about some part of it. And he just like immediately, I swear. And I, to me, it always felt like she's like, I mean, all right, if you swear, like uh, you made your bed and now you kind of have to lay in it. This is so interesting because I didn't realize we felt so differently about this moment. I love this. Um, So I, I, I think it's more, I need you to swear to me because I need to believe that as opposed to please tell me you're lying. I, I think it is s- swear to me. That's true. So that I can fully accept this and move on. Uh, and then I think the doubt is still there lying underneath in wait, but we could spend a whole spoiler pod talking about this. And I'm sure we'll, we'll, we, we, uh, we, I could talk further about this with some of the part two knowledge we have and, and go deeper, but I think it's probably best. We call that there. Anything you want to say before we get to some, awards the last of the season before our season long awards what a uh man i love this episode as i said at the beginning it's as critical as i've been about an episode but also it still very well might be my favorite episode yeah i it bums me a little bit that i feel like the ending didn't fully land as well for just show watchers as it did for everyone that played the game. I think almost universally, if you talk to people that played the game, people were floored by this ending. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I certainly think there were people that were floored and there were people that liked the finale. I've also heard from people that were like, wow, like that was the finale. That's surprising. Oh, it was quick. And then that's, that's how it's ending. Really? Hmm. 
Um, so that bums me out a little bit. And I think a lot of that could have been fixed with the pacing fixes that we talked about. So that that's the one thing that bums me out a little bit. But then again, at the end of the day, they did the ending of The Last of Us. And everything is still as it needs to be going forward. I think they could have done some things to make it land a little bit better, but tough to make a TV perfect TV show. It turns out it's Jacob first video game award, or excuse me. The first award is the video game moment of the week. I'm going to go with Joel boosting Ellie up to get the ladder and drop it down. This happens so many times during the game. And actually small fun tidbit is like Ellie is so detached. And one of the ways you realize this in gameplay is you go over to boost her up onto a ladder as you've done many times before. And you stand there in the animation of Joel holding his hands ready to boost her up. And Ellie doesn't show up. And you're just like, wait, what? And Joel's like, Ellie? And Ellie's just sitting there like, what? Huh? And she wasn't paying attention. Small little moment that you couldn't really incorporate with gameplay. But again, you can see that she was distracted. But boosting Ellie up over a ladder has to be my moment. Again, I am distraught. Full season. Zero bricks or bottles thrown. I don't know how they could do this to me. Zero nail bombs, zero Molotovs. I don't think Joel ever uses a shotgun. Um, look, season two, Craig, uh, if you want to hire me to be the uh, brick and or bottle supervisor uh, of, of the show on set, I will gladly find ways to use these bricks and bottles. Okay, I've, I've had a lot of practice. See, I, I thought your one last chance is if they did have that underground fight scene and there was something there where they try to sneak by them by throwing a brick or bottle. That was the one last hope I thought you had going into this week. When they cut that entirely, you were toast. Uh, it was a sad ending. I have the same video game moment of the week because literally I you you mentioned it. It was the Leo uh, Leonardo DiCaprio gif or picture of him. I was pointing at the screen saying, oh, they did it. They did it. And so, yeah, 100% that. The baby girl. Jacob, what was the best brought to life moment from the game to the show? I probably has. Well, man, there's a lot of it. I probably would go with the final scene and the the back and forth they have just because it was almost word for word how they did it in the game. I'm going to. Yeah. That, that's tough. You, you could definitely make an argument for that. Just because you picked that, I'll say the giraffe sequence, bad CGI yeah. and all, followed by the it can't be for nothing uh, and we finish what we started. For some reason, that that uh, affected me a little bit more in the show than it did the game. Felt a little bit more epic. I liked how you know Joel brought up the <laughs> something always bad has always been out there. Uh, there's risk. Like, we don't have to do this. And Ellie's determination uh, I thought that was a great moment. So that's my final baby girl of the season. The best change. I think we're probably uh, united on this. It's it's the, the suicide conversation and very specifically, I guess, time heals all wounds. It wasn't time that did it line to me. That was a tremendous addition, tremendous scene, tremendous line, uh, instantly, instantly memorable, instantly iconic. Yeah, I said before, it wasn't time that did it is going to be one of the lines that will stick with me for as long as I think about The Last of Us. So, yeah, absolutely that the the suicide kind of conversation that they have. And the MVP of the finale probably has to be Pedro Pascal. I think he was unbelievable, including that conversation conversation. 
about suicide and whatnot. It, in that moment, what that might be, he's had a lot of them. I'm not going to say that was the best moment Joel's had or Pedro's had. He's had a ton of moments, but man, it was the, it was maybe the last great one, at least for this season. He should rack up all sorts of awards in my very biased opinion and unbelievable from him this week. Look, sometimes MVP awards can be built on narrative. They can be built on early season performance, but sometimes you just got to look at the box score. Okay. I'm giving this to Joel. Uh, he put up numbers, right? <laughs> and he he came through, he got the victory. He saved the girl. Uh, he demolished the fireflies. It certainly wasn't Marlene. Marlene was not the MVP. Not at all. Uh, you could definitely give it to Pedro. I'm giving it to the character of Joel for all the reasons we talked about. I'm not saying necessarily that Joel did nothing wrong, but I do think he's such a rich and compelling and fascinating and interesting character that will stand the test of time as one of the most complex television and video game characters we've ever seen. And I love how they're bringing him to life in the show and in some ways fleshing him out a lot. But Joel Miller is the MVP of this finale. What a, I, I do think that they have kind of fleshed him out a little bit more. And I'm very happy for that because he was already incredible in the game. And there's still ways in the game where he might be more incredible and whatnot. But seeing him in this way, like on a TV screen, fantastic. And I mean, we've done it all season long. Hat tip to both Pedro and Bella for their depictions. And we, we talked about how important it was for their relationship to be strong and just their relationship in general. When we did our preview pod uh, two, three months ago, they were absolutely incredible together. And I am so very excited to see them together in future seasons. And I, I assume based on, I've heard them talking about it. I assume it was primarily Mason and Druckmann. Uh, and I guess it was Carolyn Strauss were maybe the three people that had impact on the decision of the casting, but you have to give them credit because I, I definitely, this was not like a home run, obvious casting in either regard. No. Uh, Pedro, I think everyone universally agreed. He's a phenomenal actor, but maybe not what people had envisioned for Joel and not, not just because he's not white, but just, uh, a different sort of character than and you know people will make the wolf and cub uh j- jokes about the other roles he's played etc but it's a, definitely a very different role for pedro than he's done and uh he crushed it he knocked it out of the park he brought joel to life in some very different ways and bella certainly i don't I don't think many people were like oh bella ramsey liana mormon from game of thrones perfect for ellie let's do it uh i think that was a little bit of, of one where it was like okay like we'll just have to wait and see uh, we waited and we saw and Bella crushed it. Uh, her British accent definitely slipped through when she said Kansas City, but maybe that's just me hearing those two words over and over again. I was like, Kansas City. I was like, no, that, that's not right. But other than that, <laughs> I thought pretty much perfect in this finale. Both are incredible. Uh, again, I don't think we overall, obviously we have nitpicks and, and criticisms from time to time of the show, but generally speaking, we're very happy with the show. We're very happy that Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann are in charge of it. Uh, I wouldn't want any other two people in charge of the show right now. Uh, we, I, we might not agree with everything, but you can tell every decision is very well thought out. And they've taken a lot of care in making this the best adaptation possible. 
and they absolutely have done that. It's easily the best video game adaptation I've seen. It's maybe the best adaptation of any source material I've seen in terms of it being faithful to the source material while still trying to find ways to improve it and enrich it. That doesn't mean they're going to knock it out of the park every single time with every decision, but they're doing absolute the best that I've seen so far of anyone trying to do something like this. And it's incredibly impressive. It's an incredibly impressive achievement. I can't wait for season two. I can't wait to see how they adapt the last of us part two, because in a lot of ways that's going to be its own challenge and very different than adapting the last of us part one. And I, not to mention how we couldn't be happier with the show. We couldn't be happier with the amount of support we've gotten from the podcast. Thank you so much for everyone that's been listening. Please leave us a five-star review if you haven't already, especially on iTunes. Um, when season two comes around or if people are still looking for last of us content, we want to be able to jump out as being a high quality podcast that people recommend. And we have loved sharing our thoughts and interacting with you guys along the way. I mean, we've said it every week, but we did not expect the podcast to have this much success. We didn't have a plan for what to do once the season ended. We were just going to podcast during the season and then that was going to be that. But there's been so much support uh, throughout the entire season that we did, we realized about halfway through the season that we needed a plan for, for after the, the season ended. So like we said at the beginning, we'll still be around for certainly next week, but then there might be some more time between pods, but we'll be around. But again, thank you for that. If you guys can give us rating, review, help us out a ton and help us get in front of more eyes and ears and continue sending in the the questions and the, the thoughts that you guys have because we want to hear them and we're going to eventually do an episode, a mailbag episode to talk about what you guys want to hear and the questions you may have. And that's what I was going to say. If you guys have ideas for what we can do, off-season content, stuff that you would be interested in seeing, Hey, if, if you're willing to stick around for Last of Us, we value your more opinion opinion more than anyone of, hey, what what the heck should we do? Because I guess we got a lot of time to kill. Uh, we'll we'll find out, obviously, exactly how much that is. Season two casting announcements, I bet, would be the next bit of news we get. Um, but, and Jacob, obviously, I want to thank you. Uh, I'm glad we ended up doing this thing instead of just talking about it and you know it just being one of those things that, we didn't follow through on, but I've had so much fun doing this uh, and I couldn't be happier to be on this journey with you. And I eagerly await season two. It's hopefully it won't feel as long of a wait as it, as it did between uh, them announcing the show and, and finally putting it on screen, but it's been a blast and uh, appreciate you joining me as always for this and we'll we'll be around and we'll keep uh giving you guys stuff to listen to and we promise there won't be two and a half hour episodes too hey look shortest uh episode of the series and we heard the people's cries for more content and we <laughs> delivered so uh i'm sorry if you're someone it, it, mom if you're listening i'm sorry that you had to sit through this whole long thing everyone else uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, yeah, super appreciative of every, any, anyone that's checked this out. And, uh, we had so much fun doing this podcast with you guys. We will be back next week. We will do a season and review pod. So be sure you guys are uh, back. Let us know what youth were your, what your favorite episodes, 
favorite moments, things like that were, and we'll uh, include that in next week. But until then, make sure you follow us on Twitter and leave those ratings and reviews. But for Tom, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great week, everybody.